can you choose for you best Halloween of your adult life? Best Halloween of my adult life is is a slam dunk. It's mm-hmm. 11 years ago. It's the the night I fell in love with Molly, my partner of 11 years. It's amazing. A, absolute like like um we all hung out kind of mutually in the same hub house, you know, like we yeah. you know like the sort of circle of friends where they overlap and there's like the one person who all your circles of friends kind of overlap with and uh for us that was our friend Keegan, still our friend to this day. Um Way grown up from like the party guy, like frat boy house, pseudo frat boy house. He used to be like now he's like mm-hmm. a real adult, and it's it's kind of crazy because uh, he's a the guy you swore would never me. would never ever mature, right? Like, but eleven years. Um, yeah. No, so so we like uh, the first night she met me, I was sitting alone in a dark room with my gaming laptop on my lap, uh, yeah. playing like League of Legends when I was supposed to be writing an article as a like a games journalist. <laughs> she came in the like the, the all the lights were off. I was in the living room and she had like a bag of laundry cuz she she lived around the corner. She did her laundry over at the house. She opened the door. She looks over at me and she's like, "What are you doing?" And I'm just like just like you know nothing. And she's like, "The lights are off." And I'm like, "Yeah, it got dark while I was sitting here." And she's like, "You know you could just get up and turn <laughs> the lights on." And I'm like, "Impossible." And just very curt, like, you know, I'm, I have a very matter-of-fact, kind of dry, sarcastic mm-hmm. sense of humor. And she just busted my chops immediately, right? Like, just in, in – and uh, we started walking our dogs together. And uh, at the time, she's 20, the legal drinking age in, in, in Wisconsin in America is 21. And, uh, and uh, like, I, me with – free of, uh, like, any ambitions or, or – I just love Halloween. And I would have much rather mm-hmm. stayed home watching horror movies anyway then go out partying with everybody. So I'm like, oh, you know, like, if you want to, like, I'm just going to, like, watch a bunch of horror movies. You can come hang out, watch a bunch of horror flicks or whatever. And by the end of the the night ended with her her tricking me into leaving the house to go get mixers because we ran out of, like, stuff to mix all our booze with, running back to her apartment and her kissing me on the front porch. And, like, that was, like... That sounds amazing, man. So And it's Halloween, so... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm the type of person who wants to get married on Halloween, like, in a, like, a masquerade you know like mm-hmm. whole of uh, extravagant affair it's my favorite holiday always has yeah. been it's just same over here yeah it's Island, i've always loved it we don't even have it and it's always a joke in greece when uh, around this time in october comes up and people are like oh you're you're going for halloween you're such a little american like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. like you're not you're not american why are you having halloween but let's Come on, man! Enjoy yourself. Let people enjoy things. Well, and people love it. Like we do have the carnival in Greece. It's in February, but I don't know. It's starting to get very dark now, and it's the best time. Hmm. And we get into that spirit of like spooky things and all that. So, uh, no, no regrets about that. Well, no I mean, how did you? I mean, that's. I mean, we might as well just start right there. How did you, like a like a Grecian, you know? How did you end up like like how how does Halloween end up over there? I know there's some some European traditions with like Samhain and and some stuff like that, but I know from most people I talk to, it's like a very American like the way we overcapitalize everything, right? Like, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, it has to do with uh, culture mm-hmm. seeping over and. Uh, because of TV and shows and all that playing over and uh, Greek TV, uh, people get into it. And after the internet has been such a big thing now and through like everything's basically global and the good things 
tend to be picked up by people who enjoy it. And like growing up loving D&D and stuff like that, you get into circles of people who enjoy, you know, international literature or, or cinema, films, series like that. So it was quite, quite easy, to tell you the truth. People love dressing up. People love, like, trick-or-treating is not, just such, is not a thing. Maybe in Sweden, where I'm currently in, you do have people going trick-or-treating. And, but, you know, partying and stuff like that. It's always fun. Plus, October in Greece, not that cold. So it's not that hard to dress up. I know that's not the easiest thing over there. Wisconsin's but, pretty cold. Yeah, Wisconsin. We get yeah, pretty cold. Yeah. So it's actually quite quite fun. No, there's a good thing to do. My my best Halloween was two years ago, actually, because um, the wife and I we took a trip to Dublin, and we had booked. Which Dublin? It's like an hour from here, an hour and a half by a plane, so it's nothing really. Mm-hmm. And we had booked every single thing that had to do with horror houses and all those live shows and attractions said, don't come over if you have a heart condition, don't come over. That's pre-COVID, by the way. That's November 19th. Uh, and don't do all that. And we did every single thing. And then we found out that she was pregnant. <laughs> but it was like a week pregnant. Yeah. So our boys, they are quite steeled now. Yeah. They have they've yeah. been there from, from like week one of conception. Well, so that was best Halloween. Well, that, it's 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 interesting. It's very interesting because they're sort of like you're describing like a cultural osmosis, you know, like globally, and then like also there's sort of like going to be this influence on your children. Which my my kids are are, are much older, uh, uh, eight and and five respectively. But their my obsession has turned into their obsession. Our whole house right now. I just came home with like a box, like a five mm-hmm. foot long box with two skeletons in it, like two plastic skeletons. And you can just, I've just normal sight dad picking up a box with two skeletons in it, putting it in the back of his pickup truck after picking up his kids from, from school, both my kids unflinching the, all the kids watching them get into the car, like with this, these two, this five foot <laughs> box and the skeletons great. in it. Just like, <laughs> amazing. You know, like they're I'm still looking forward to that. <laughs> Looking forward to that, man. Oh uh, man! So uh, I can see Chat Gang showing up. Hams fan dropping a tier one yep. sub for seven years of support. Thank you so much for that big support going on. And uh, you know, I'm of course Magical Mister Mephisto. This is episode 108, I believe, of AOS Rantcast. I'm joined by a very, very special guest tonight. We're going to be talking. This is a, this is our my Halloween special. This is it. We're going to get into it. Uh, I'm joined by a very special guest tonight, Dinos. Um, he is a horror uh, published uh, published writer, a hobbyist, and a horror enthusiast. But most importantly, a fan of Giannis Antetokounmpo. How's it going today? <laughs> That's our boy. Represent. Yeah. Yep. It's, uh, great to be with you, man. I love this. I'm excited, and we're gonna talk horror. We're gonna talk Age of Sigmar. To crossing the streams, as I said, like two days ago. That's uh, two of my passions right now, and so excited to be with a fellow enthusiast yeah so yeah let's do this yeah right on right and on. i know it's early right there but it's still like 11 15 here so it's a bit late it's always late somewhere it's always time to talk about things that go bump in the night right right here we go right let's i'm out Right on. Yeah. So, I mean, I just, we were kind of talking about just sort of at the, what will go on to be the cold open there, just talking about like getting into Halloween. Is there, I got to wonder, is there like a movie, was there a moment in your youth where you're like, I love scary crap? Like, I, I'm looking at your um, hobby, like you, you, you 
I mean, obviously your name your name on Twitter, uh, Paint for the Paint God, is a, a play on corn. Uh, I saw a lot yeah. of like chaos and stuff like that. Like was you know you talk about like overlap. Like I'm the mm-hmm. skeleton guy. Like I you know I love undead and death and and stuff like that. And there's a macabre element yeah. in the horror I like that I read, but then also my hobby. Do you have mm-hmm. was there a moment for you? Did the did the corn love come first? Did the spooky come first? And then you saw corn models. Yeah. Like what? Can you take me maybe through that just a little bit? I want to get some background. Uh, first of all, uh, when it comes to horror, Greek mythology is what I grew up with. And Greek mythology is rife with horror elements, with the gods and the demigods and the monsters and uh, mortals being um, like puppets in strings of gods. And th- there's a lot of things there. And the more I grow up and I see, I look back, I say, okay. There's quite a bit of things to dig out of there. And I always say that Greece is a country of ghosts because it's been there forever. And we we walk and we breathe and we live where, well, basically hundreds and hundreds of generations before us have. So Greece is built on Greece and everything underneath is still same. So I'm thinking that, wow, there is a continuation there. Mm-hmm. And I love ghost stories, always love ghost stories. I love writing ghost stories out of actually I have three novels published and a short story collection. All three short story, all three novels are ghost novels. And the one that's coming out next year uh, is also a ghost novel. I just love the, the idea and what they represent. Uh, but for, in terms for, of well, just, just starting, real, starting the journey. Yeah, go ahead. Just, just real quick for what do ghosts represent for you? Like for your, I think ghosts represent missed opportunities. That's the thing. Like when we say someone is haunted by mistakes they did or chances they didn't get or wrongdoings and things that they have never had the chance to revisit, these thoughts, these ideas that come back, this is what ghosts represent. Mm -hmm. Like my first novel is about a basically a haunted uh, telephone. It's a private detective who lives basically in his office and there's a phone that rings and there's spirits trying to reach out. And there's uh, one specific spirit that's the ghost of his dead brother who wants revenge on him because he was the one who killed him Mm -hmm. accidentally, but still. Yeah, yeah. So that whole idea of things that have happened and he cannot change them. So the supernatural element in a story is what I think is the spice in a good story. It gives it a twist that is going to make the reader go, okay, awesome. But it's always the story. It's always the character. See, just so, expanding on that, and I think you know we have similar horror sensibilities. I, I yeah. think when you tell a sort of like a traditional fictional story, people's – they're not usually suspending their dis- disbelief as much as when they're reading something fantastical. If I tell mm-hmm. you a story just about a guy who's like regretful that his brother died, that he killed him, mm-hmm. you're going to get you usually get caught up in the literalism of the story. Mm-hmm. If you say it's a ghost, then you get people into a metaphoric interpretation, which is where I'm trying to speak to you. Like uh, as my reader, yeah. I want you not thinking about what gun he used to kill his brother or the car. Like I don't want you mm-hmm. thinking about where where it was. I want you thinking about the 
the vibe, the emotion, the, the, I want you in a different state of mind than when you're taking in literal interpretations. And I think that horror specifically, and, uh, in more broadly that fantasy and sci-fi, they help us break Mm -hmm. down that like skepticism just a little bit, you know, to receive the message. Right. Like, and I think that's pretty cool, but yeah, sorry, not to get you off too, too too much. Um, you were talking about like sort of the the crossover, right? I think actually, uh, let me start by saying that Warhammer has been quite recent for me. Okay. Hasn't been too much like 2017, maybe not that much. Mm -hmm. Also, obviously I knew Warhammer, but growing up in Greece, there was nobody playing around me. So, and I was a D and D guy. So we used to play a lot of D and I was the dungeon master because nobody else wanted to make stories. And I always forever, loved making forever, stories. Forever, GM. yeah, you yeah. know, you, <laughs> sure you've been there, you've been there, yeah. And um, so Warhammer was more of a recent thing for me, and I don't see corn as the, I don't see any horrific in term in terms of what I love in horror. Like, I don't really like gore that much. I love the supernatural. The uh psychological aspect of horror yes that's why ghosts are my jam and so my start in horror was twofold it was uh, jacob's ladder the film and silent hill these two i think they came out i I don't i don't know if they came close to each other they came out close to each other but i did i did experience them both uh, at around the same time and both of them actually have this thing that I told you about, about ghosts and about making mistakes. Silent Hill 2 is a masterpiece that where it was, if it was a book, it would have been one of the top horror books of all time. Mm-hmm. And at least the, at the time it came out, it was something well, like blew me away. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I, I'm just going to like agree and, and just say more stuff but silent hill 2 i think mm-hmm. is one of the best works of art that's ever ever graced any media it's the the symbolism and the the personal horror of it that like they tried to translate some of the stuff that like out of mm-hmm. silent hill 2 into other games and other stuff and it's like mm-hmm. people missed the reason pyramid head is so terrifying is because it's terrifying for uh james right it's James yeah. and two, yeah. It's terrifying for that character, and mm-hmm. what it represents: his misogyny, his his mis- you know, sort of like neglect of his <laughs> wife, yeah. his wandering eye while she was dying. Like it is his, mm-hmm. like sort of personal demons personified, and that's why. Imagine that. Imagine that. That is so human. That is so human for a person to be going through a drama, a tragedy, and at the same time being human being uh drawn by another woman maybe or like a walk a woman walking around just a nurse and that, yeah, right? like, that makes him yeah that he's guilt. doing it to himself yeah. i just love silent hill is the best thing that has ever happened to me in terms of writing uh-huh. because there are no books like silent hill i actually looked up to see i've done this so many times there was a book by oh man why am i blacking out now um dean Kunz. Dean Koontz, I think it was called Shadows or Whispers. It was about a city. Uh, they said it has Silent Hill vibes. It didn't actually go there, but still. So I thought, I want to write this. Mm-hmm. I want to write a story, like integrate the idea of people being drawn to a place, and that place is a like a crucible. It spits them out one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't write it in the beginning. Being a very young writer, 
I'm talking now 2008, 2007. Mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to do it. I never did up to the point that I wrote a, a book. And I, then I wrote another book. And finally, in 2017, I finished that book, that book about a village in Greece where a train takes people and leaves them there and they cannot just leave. Mm-hmm. It's it's my love letter to Silent Hill. It's not actually Silent Hill, and people who, but people who love Silent Hill say, finally, I read something that took me to that place. And that yeah. is the biggest, well, the, the biggest thing I've, like for me, it was a huge, like a medal of honor for yeah. me yeah. to integrate into my, the Greek culture. And yeah, Maybe. so these are the two. And Jacob's letter, if you think about it, it does actually uh, have quite a bit of similarities between uh, at least the first Silent Hill. Well, there's a purgatory, the... like Jacob's Ladder, yeah. there's the sort of purgatory of like hanging on. I mean, the, the, yeah. the I can't think of the name, but the, the sort of support father figure character he goes and talks to, and he, he says, you know, mm-hmm. if you're afraid of dying, you know, you're going to, you're going to see demons tearing your soul out. But if you've accepted it, then the demons are really angels, like uplifting angels. you from, right? Yeah. Like, um, there's a VNV Nation song where they sample that quote, and it just always mm-hmm. that. But that purgatorio, that the sort of, uh, you know, that sort of purgatory there, that the characters experiencing is very similar to like a, a Silent Hill. You know, I I yeah. think you know. By the way, still like an artist, feel no shame. Like a lot of the films that have been in the in the coffin here this this mm-hmm. this marathon i started the marathon with two films that i consider love letters to the genre of horror mm-hmm. i think there's something like horror i think more than any genre is comfortable being self-referential there oh, yeah. a lot of other genres out there like feel like they have to like pretend they're unique snowflakes that they came up with the idea first and they're doing it you know and if they didn't do it first then they do it the best and like horror is like really comfortable just like being like, oh no, I love that practical effect that they used in uh, the thing. So I tried to riff yeah. on it and then do it in this. And like, like that's off in Jacob's ladder that the the movement of the face, the yeah. fast movement of the face that you see a lot, that was in Jacob's ladder first time. Yeah. So what you said is exactly that. And the thing about I think that horror is the most universal, like, uh, not just feeling. But as a genre, people will under some people might not understand science fiction. Some people might not get, I mean, uh, like westerns or uh, noir. But or being scared is so human. It's so uh, like it's personal at this end. At the same time, it's everyone's. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you're gonna riff on ideas because it's never, never. It never touches the same person the same way. Right. As it does other people, yeah. but it still it gives you it rises that. That's why I love what you said that comedy and horror have similar vibes, yeah. and it's yeah. true because they're both universal. Laughing and being scared is human, and the third that I put always is uh, erotica, like this uh, love, horror, and comedy. Those three things, they they are so human that you will see them being played with each other mm-hmm. barker does that clive barker when i read him uh and he adds sexuality in it the Ceno- the original cenobites the book the the books that that uh, went on to make the hellraiser yeah. uh that was exactly yeah. that exactly what you're describing go on go on sorry 
So I think that you are touching on stuff that are so at the same time personal, uh, unique, and everybody's that this genre, if you suspend your disbelief and you accept that what you're doing now is not just trying to be scared because it's not like I'm telling you now as an author, people say, I don't get scared. Why should I read your book? And the answer is because I did not write this book to scare you. Yes. I wrote this book to tell you a story, human story, a story of characters and people that I want you to think they're real. And if you do believe through obviously through writing, yeah, yeah. when the scary part comes, you will not be scared, but you will believe when the character yes. gets the feeling, gets the emotion. Yeah. That's the whole point. I think that horror as a story, in horror in a story is a is the cog that makes the story move in a certain way. But without the story, it doesn't exist. Like I read, uh, I started reading a short story by someone who sent me a, who sent me their their work, and the first phrase was I don't remember the name now, but it was like something like Mary screamed. Okay, I don't care about Mary. That is not that yeah. is not horror, man. Yeah. Tell me who it is first. Give me a reason. And a friend of mine, another writer of mine, says fiction, in contrast to reality, has to be has to seem truthful. Yes. Has to seem realistic. Yep. So I was just talking about that last that, night in, in uh, on my yeah. live stream. Yeah, go. Yeah, when you add the supernatural in it, you can make it seem realistic. You can make it seem that it, it belongs. Um, I don't want to flood you, but I remember uh, the guy who played Sam in Game of Thrones. They asked him, your character lives on the wall and he's for months and years and he's still fat. Why? And his answer was, come on, this is a story about dragons and ghosts and all that. Uh, why don't you believe that? I said, that has nothing to do with it. That has nothing to do with it. You are, ah, what's the word? You are going to this a very wrong point of view. We can believe that this world has ghosts and dragons and everything. Mm -hmm. But you have to give me a reason why your character doesn't shed the weight because of the hardship and all that. That's not an answer. So that's why when you start uh, writing or reading a book, you have to approach it through a lens of things that happen must have a reason that happens. They must follow rules, internal rules, even if it's the supernatural. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I've been, I just streamed Alan Wake for like five, five streams in a row. That's literally the whole plot of Alan Wake is it has yep. to like horror has rules there's rules uh, writing in general has rules like we don't people don't think yeah. think of this um you know the truth is often stranger than fiction because because reality doesn't really have to follow any rules the not to bring it back to the, to the bucks but the plot line if i wrote the story of how the bucks won the championship my editor mm -hmm. would hand me the book back and say it i don't believe this you know, Giannis, okay, so he's going to take a knee injury, and then the Bucks are going to win two games without him with historic performances from, like, two players that are maligned for not being that good. And then, like, yeah. and then he's just going to come back from, like, what should be a career-ending injury, and they're like, that's bullshit. No. Like, you don't hyperextend your ACL like, and then just come four back. Four days and, later. Or something. Yeah. yeah. Like, and then, like, okay, and then, like, he's going to struggle with free throws throughout the whole series, but then in the last game, he's going to sink 17 of 19 of yeah. them. And they're just like... yeah. 
Yeah, like no, get no. It doesn't. No. You got to at least show the show that show him getting better at free throws progressively, and then yeah. you know, and have him you know like a rec- recursion to the mean type moment where he kind of loses his confidence and and like no, Giannis never lost his confidence throughout the whole playoffs. <laughs> That's like the story of. So I I mean it's yeah he transferred the the knee injury. Uh yeah no I mean but but I I think more importantly like when you mentioned like oh Sarah screamed or whatever, I think the best horror isn't written from a place of like malaise or 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 cynicism. I think the best yeah. horror is written from a place of empathy. Because to make someone afraid like like horror is in a sense yes universal because we all feel feel fear, but the things that make us afraid or scare us are a little different person to person. So like my my yep. story like ghosts might not scare one person. Like but like you know exorcism type plots really scare somebody like they can't handle them at all Mm -hmm. and for some people gore is just like funny and like it's automatically in the category of unrealistic so it's funny to them so gore will never scare them body horror can't scare them but like they can't handle like psychological thrillers because like the tension of like you know really close camera angles and all that stuff they it's it's like we all feel fear but like how we experience it is differently the thing that i think is most important is that the character in the story feels fear. And in order to get a character in the story to feel fear, as a writer, you have to empathize with them on some level. You have to like have an empathy for your characters to subject them to the horrible in a way that they'll feel terrible. Like you can still have your like cool gore and all the, the affects of mm-hmm. horror if you want, but at the, but at, at its heart, there's an empathy to horror. And I think that's what makes com- that that's why comedy and comedy and uh, and horror for me are like especially like two sides of the same corn and and I'll I'll, I'll mm-hmm. like absolutely concede to like erotica or or, or, or like sexuality as as a, as a third mm-hmm. sort of angle on that triangle but horror and and comedy it's that it's that it's that subversion it's that empathy hello ganged, can, ganged my daughter I can, I'll try to fix right. it later okay and you I'll can think it. back to uh, what you talked about James in Silent Hill 2 Mm-hmm. That's where you get that sexual uh, nature of mm-hmm. the story that just makes it chef's kiss. Yeah. Yeah. So... And yeah. Yeah. So you talked about empathy, and I think we we actually scheduled this uh, cast by talking about Flanagan, about Michael Flanagan and Midnight Mass, but most, but also Funding of Hill House and his whole work. I'm a huge fan, and I'm. Glad to see that you are also a huge fan, and so empathy is what makes him different from other other uh, creators right now. Yeah. You have to love the characters. You have to see Hill House for me is a masterpiece because it's what I said a not a love story percent uh, in terms of uh, one person and another person, but family. Yes, it's what what I call what what I call my writing parental horror which is what I do and which what I love writing is what's the biggest fear. And I do, I have two boys right now, but even before becoming a, a parent, my biggest fear was the breaking of the family. I was lucky enough to re- be raised in a family that's still together, close knit. Mm-hmm. So that fear of what if that goes away, mm-hmm. that was from quite early uh, was in me. So I think horror, and writing about horror, but also reading horror is coping. It's a defense mechanism. Yes. Getting ready, getting prepared for what life brings. So he writes this type of, 
I'm afraid of the people I love. I'm afraid that I'm going to lose them. I'm afraid that I'm going to lose what I have. I don't want to, I might see it going away just like in Midnight Mass. You see a derelict place of people being basically fading away just like the community does. Mm -hmm. And you see their fear of trying to grasp on something. And religion is what they do in this in this story mm -hmm. to to the effect that it has anyway. Yeah, so, I, I just finished Midnight Mass and I'm not going to spoil it for anyone because it's like, you know, after like two years or three years, I don't feel bad spoiling and spoiling something. It's the Internet age. Like, uh, I, I don't. I don't know. I'm not personally culpable after like so many years of, of not spoiling like some of these these films that I've I've had in this marathon, which I, I think the oldest is 1993 or something like that. Like, um, unless it's a true hidden gem and like literally nobody watched it. But, um, yeah, like, um, Midnight Mass is just everyone go watch it. It's I mean it, it like it freaking it kind of. If you're familiar with like the language of horror, like the how we communicate like horror things, there's a shot. I think it's in like the first eleven minutes, and I'm like, oh, I know what's going on here. And like, it was. I'm not gonna give it away for anybody, but like, even knowing kind of where it was going, I was just like, oh, this was so much better than I thought. Like, cause he mm -hmm. communicated to me, a horror aficionado, like all the stuff. It's that ma the rules. It's got you. Got, you got to yeah. like. You got to follow the rules, right? For me to like buy into the mythos of what's going on and the horror of everything. So he's setting his world. He's setting his stage, and like he gives the. He kind of like gives up the, sort of like gives it up. Like gives up the game like immediately. There's a couple of really solid twists, but like, for the most part, like broadly speaking, I'm like okay, yeah, cool, got this. In the first episode, yeah, but it didn't fine. make. Yeah. It didn't ruin it. It only as as it went on and on, and my my expectations were subverted. It only like that establishing shot only recontextualized how I was supposed to be watching the rest of the film. If I, even if I was clever enough to notice, like the one shot yeah. I did, and that's what like that's what Hill House Hill House does that too. Like I think in in terms of like the two, I think I think Haunting a Hill House is is a masterpiece. I think it's I think it's certainly yeah. the better work. But like, mm -hmm. but what the the thing that he does in Midnight Mass is it shows that he's honing his craft and he's just. Yeah. Um, I, I think, think Doctor. Go ahead. He knows he like he understands that okay, people will get it. And that's not the point. That's not where it breaks. Fine. Some people will get it, some people will read the language, some people will see. And but that's okay. If you go into into this uh, idea when you start writing something, start creating something and saying it's fine, that the twist is not the point. There will be twists along the way, obviously. Right. But that's not the point. So let's build it up. Let's let's feed them some ideas that they know they're going to grab. Some things will not pan out. Mm -hmm. But what you said, he honed his craft. I think he's he feels um, confident that it's going to be okay. It's a slow burn also. It's a, it's a long series. Like I said, oh, seven episodes. And then episodes like 70 minutes long. Yeah. These are like almost short, not, not well, even short films. So, yeah. There's a lot of monologuing in it too. And like normally there's part of me that would be like, oh, gross monologuing but then the part but like the monologues are good so i don't give a crap like the characters yeah, just like exchange monologues basically and i'm like i'm like this would be you know when do you get to break the rules of of, of fiction when it's good mm -hmm. is really what what every exception ever boils down to is when it's good or when you're doing something like something with it that but like so like all right chat gang i i'm good this isn't a spoiler i'm going to talk around the topic a little bit mm -hmm. but it would give context clues 
to kind of like a big deal with the story. So skip ahead about about one minute, okay? And I'll tell you when it's safe. <laughs> There's a conversation where two characters essentially monologue each other about like sort of like a big, you know, what what is death, right? And you know what I'm talking I think it's around episode four. They have this big monologue, and one character has such the stronger monologue as to be embarrassing the monologue the other character <laughs> gave Co- up, in, yeah. in comparison. But then, like, it, like, at the end of it, it just, like, sticks the landing so hard on that, that mo- the what was the weaker monologue, that my mind was blown, and I sat there after I finished. I, I stayed up till, like, 2 a.m. last night. I was done with it at 1 a.m. last night, and I sat there for the next hour, just just somewhat in bed, kind of getting out, getting a glass of water, just thinking. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. horror at its best, like I, I mentioned, like the, it's subversive, and we talked about how it's like a subversive media a, a little bit, and it pulls you in with its sort of like mythos and its rules and its suspension of disbelief. But what horror, I think, really does better than any other medium, and I think fiction in general is it gives you a safe space to process ideas, right? Like just to, to just to think about ideas and process ideas, like like you know. But what horror does is it gives you a safe space to process trauma, and that's powerful. Like, oh, absolutely, see it happen in characters that you actually love, you grow to love, and I think that what makes horror novels and like whatever media it is when you care about the characters and at some point you do realize that you're reading a horror story mm-hmm. you know that something bad's going to happen and that speaks to your own sensibilities and saying at some point something bad's going to happen i just know it mm-hmm. and in this case you do know it because it's a book mm-hmm. and until the until the book is over you have no idea what's going to happen Maybe you do. Maybe you have some thoughts. Maybe you receive. I know where this is going. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's. I don't think that's getting into the spirit. You don't have to know where is it going. Or you say, okay, I get it. I can see the signs. I'm just here for the ride, though. Yeah, and the concern you know? for the characters will carry you through. Like, like oh, you yeah. do, you don't personally have to be afraid. But if the characters are afraid and, and you like the characters and you're concerned for the characters, then you'll stay yeah. invested in the ride. Um, now there is a yeah. different type of horror. Uh, like the sort of schlock fest that can be its own type of thing, and I think uh, like that that's kind of like really like obsessed with the affects and the the genre itself, and I appreciate that stuff too. Like Murder Party is is one of my all time favorite horror movies. Mm-hmm. It is not mm-hmm. this highbrow horror we're talking about right now. No. Uh, it is the opposite of that, but it gets there. One, it does have an extremely likable main character. Like I I adore the character and I want him to win at all. Like in every scene, mm-hmm. I want him to win. And yeah. then from there, it's the the just the exer- an exercise in sort of horror, like mechanical horror setup and subversion, setup and subversion. Like just scene to scene, every they set up something at the beginning of the scene, subvert it, and then they just do that every shot. And yeah, it's like it's like a yeah, it's yeah. textbook, it's rhythmic, and there's like a yeah. like a, a ballet to it, like that that mm-hmm. I absolutely love. But um, but like again, like that's you know, fun. Like you know, that's fun horror. It reminds me of like playing tag in a sense, or being being uh, very young and playing hide and seek. Yeah, you watch a film and you say, "All right, let's see who's gonna be next, yeah. who's gonna survive." This uh, this thing it just goes back you because your uh, your your brain understands this. This is fun. You're watching a fun film, like going back to Scream and all the movies that came after it. 
And this this is what I felt about it. it says this is a fun film. This or Wes Craven's new nightmare. Uh, did it, this it was, is not hereditary or something. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. That's not how it goes. So quite different, but again, at the same time, it speaks to something in us. And people tend to love horror or scary stories since they're um uh, by the time they're children and growing up. You say, I always loved horror. I say I always love horror. And I don't even remember where that started in yeah. a sense, but I always say, as a child, I love scary stories. I love yeah. Greek mythology. It was always there. So there's always something there. Yeah. And you can always find like scary stories and strands of ideas, prompts, even in Age of Sigmar, which we're gonna get to at some point. Yeah. Not that I not that I mind. Let's talk horror all night long. It's all good. Well, um, you said like you, you yeah. maybe there's a. I, I wonder like if just distantly if there's sort of like a predisposition that people mm -hmm. have toward horror, or if it does hook you young. Like if you read Goosebumps, or uh, I remember, are you are you afraid of the dark on Nickelodeon? If there's just or that one like sort of yeah, yeah yeah one of those just diet horror movies that catches you young or like you catch mm -hmm. you know when when something like Nightmare on Elm Street or, or Friday the Thirteenth is like is like you know, it's faux pas, it's, 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 it's taboo. And so it's like yeah. steeped in this mystique and you're not supposed to watch it as a kid, but then you like, you, you convince like your mom to rent it for you or you, you know, you go and sneak it from a neighbor who's yeah. older or whatever it is. And then you sit there and you watch this like coveted thing with your friends when you're way too yeah. young to see it for the first time. And I, w I wonder if there's, if there's a, if there's something to that too, like if there's a little bit of that, if there is some child glee, in horror as well like oh absolutely like absolutely i think that you there, that should be it like i remember being quite quite a little boy and we had a tv in our in my in my brother's bedroom and it was late and i turned on the tv and it was dracula like coppola's dracula it was right at the point because i remember very clearly the point where the windows break and blood streams in mm -hmm. i think that was when um Probably Lucy died. I don't re don't really remember, but I do remember that scene. I was like, "What just happened in front of me?" I was, mm -hmm. I was like eight, maybe or nine, something like that. Mm -hmm. I do remember that, and that glee that you said that must be there because I remember that idea with a smile, not with trauma. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. so yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and yet and as I grew up, like I got I, as as I grew up, and this is something that I I only recently admitted i guess or, or or admitted to myself and i don't know that i've ever really said it out loud is is um i've written horror stories in one capacity or another very long time and for me a lot of it was dealing with with violence so i usually have very what i so you you have a propensity for like ghost stories right um yeah. for me it was usually like the the is the character crazy or is or is it you know, is he a little bit more on the Jacob's Ladder side where, like, is he losing mm -hmm. his grip with reality or are the demons real? Like, I've always written kind of like that type of stuff where, like, there's that period where you're like, this character might just be crazy. And, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. and often very violent things because, you know, I was growing up in a in a family, a, a broken household with subs a lot of substance abuse and, and stuff like that. And so I would escape, yes, to, like, Dungeons and Dragons and... Uh, 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 well, tabletop RPGs where I could go and create a story and then, tr uh, you know, have my friends triumph over it. And then in them beating the demon monsters I made up for them to fight, they were kind of beating 
one of my demons, you know? Uh, I had these very visceral monsters that I would create in, in D&D. And uh, Katie, if you're watching, I'm sorry. Uh, she she was watching the other night, and she mentioned the Thin Ones, which are one of these these monsters I had created, which are these, um, uh, if you can imagine, these sort of pulled, super thin, almost like coat hangers of ink and tar, just stretched super mm-hmm. thin, seven feet tall, uh, almost two-dimensional when you stare at them that just kind of fold up and unfurl inside the body of their host, and they just sort of stretch mm-hmm. out along your... Uh, along your your veins and essentially treat you like a marinette and this this sort of infestation of these thin ones were taking over the world and uh and I, we were talking just talking amb- ambiently about like horror creatures and and stuff like that how i always accidentally end up with a something like this in one of my campaigns whether i'm making a horror game or not mm-hmm. um i had this time lord where people were caught in this this time loop where like yeah it's a time lord ha 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 but then also it was like oh yeah but the place they're caught is like fucking Silent Hill, and it's mm-hmm. it like because the ghosts of time have started to take over everything. These little phantoms, as as the time loops back on itself, it begins to erode and decay. And so I've always told these like really sort of fantastical stories, and I accidentally subject people to these these monsters. And something I I only recently sort of realized is uh, with my fiction, especially very violent and usually very cynical. And it mm-hmm. was only upon recognizing, like, the difference in the horror I found myself really loving and the stuff that I thought was kind of, like, cheap or shoddy or crappy. And I don't mean that mm-hmm. in the sense that it's it's, poor, it's 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 not expensive to make or, or whatever, but just a cheap experience. It was always yeah. recognizing that I was more the former. I was more that than the, mm-hmm. the sympathetic, empathetic. You know, like, I would have a character and I hated that character like me and usually it was the main character mm-hmm. right like my insert and i'm subjecting yeah. the violence to that character because mm-hmm. i don't like them i don't like myself right now so i have to torture this character because i'm torturing myself and mm-hmm. in a way it's like a self-flagellation that would help me like exercise whatever demons i had at the time growing up mm-hmm. but as i got older and i started like telling stories for other people um realizing that I was subjecting them to like my monsters so that they could beat the monster and there was some triumph there and getting the catharsis from that was where I started to recognize that 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 empathy and the the other aspect of horror that that was a little bit like if I tried to write Silent Hill something you were saying really really early on is like you you weren't I don't mature enough or old enough to write the Silent Hill story and it just as we've been talking here I know for a fact I wouldn't have been old enough to write it either because I didn't mm-hmm. get it the same way I get it yeah. now. Yeah. Like, there's a... I, I, I see what you mean, yeah. Because I was thinking that when I I sat and wrote the, the stories, the novel is called Saint Nothing. Saint Nothing. And basically, it's very, very common in Greece to name uh, villages like Saint George or uh, Saint um, Peter, whatever. Very typical. And the place uh, they go is called the Saints. And people usually ask, Saint what? Because it's you cannot just say Saint. No, nothing. That's it. So the idea there is that people will go and they will... First of all, you don't know who's alive and who's dead in the story. And that doesn't really matter in a sense. Because if the, whether they're living or dying in this story... There, it doesn't really matter because what they drag themselves through, this hell, this 
purgatory, as you said. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really matter because it's an idea of a spirit, of a soul, of a conscience, whatever you want to name it. Right. And there's actually, I realized by while writing that said, huh, I have a living person hunting, no, chasing a ghost inside a house. Mm -hmm. There's a living person chasing a ghost. And the ghost is the character, one of the characters being afraid for himself because dying is not the worst thing that has, that will, that has happened to them. Mm. And what you talk about going, taking yourself through like punishing yourself in a sense, I see that. And it's not always punishing, but questioning yourself, questioning your choices and your thoughts mm -hmm. and taking it through a, in a sense, in a grinder and say, what about this thing? Like cynicism that you talked or visceral violence going through it, but it cannot only be that. It can always it can also be discussions between characters. Mm -hmm. And again, it's your voice from both sides. That that was so amazing when I was talking about how do you write dialogue? You say you write the character, you think about the character, and the character will will tell you what to write in they a do. sense. They do. So and I find that so amazing when you create stories, even in D and D, even in RPGs, yeah, in a sense. I actually in a sense quit uh, role-playing games to start writing the stories because uh, well my friends weren't that much into it i would create a story and my players were not that well like high school kids you know how we were mm -hmm. but if you have a passion even as a high school kid to create a story you cannot actually expect your friends even if they're your best pals to be that much into it so that's where i actually started writing and that's why i was talking the other day and said being in your 30s, even in your 40s, which I don't know yet, is probably the best time to play RPGs because the people who want to play RPGs will be into it. Mm -hmm. And when you're in your 30s and your 40s, you have a much better sense of how these things work, mm -hmm. which is fun, but it's also the story is important. The characters are important. And so uh, what you said earlier about I, I like Horus defense I actually paused writing for a while because of a sudden loss, something quite unexpected. And it was at the time when I was correcting my last, my most recent book that came out in 2018 or no, 2019. But in 2018, uh, I lost someone and it was very unexpected, very sudden. Mm -hmm. One day good, the other day gone. And because I was editing the book, the book is about loss. It's about, um, well, it's the, it's the book. It's a Silent Hill book. Yeah. And it's about people losing others. That was very, very difficult for me to go through. And after that, I actually stopped writing for a while. And I picked up painting because, like mini painting, that's when I, that's when I actually started really focusing on painting and not writing. So that was where my journey took me to you know i actually write in my instagram by the way this is not my bookstagram please don't add me here yeah. because i have my author's page and my author's other other pages for it. so that's why my instagram was actually don't add me for books yeah. even though the people keep tagging me in which is fine but doesn't happen that much now but that's how it started i said you know what i just want to paint this thing will be done i have control over it which is something that 
it's not that easy to do with a novel because you never have complete control over a novel. I uh, I don't miniature. You have control over it. You say, you know what? I'm just gonna do it to the best that I can. It's gonna take a day, two maybe. That's it. But a novel is months, and you know how it is. Well, I the, I, the the part where you're talking about the dialogue. So, um, you know, I usually like try to I start with the characters. Like I'll have an idea for mm -hmm. a story. And how I always start every story with the characters once I have an idea. Like, I want to tell a story about... Um, well, right now, the one I'm working on is... It's got macabre elements, but it's not really a horror story. It's it's very... It's it's very it's a very flamboyant story. Um, just kind of changing gears, because the last story I was working on, I was really locked in a self-referential, self-reflective, introspective, like, just taking everything that was going on with me for a, a spell... And my own, sort of putting my own creativity under a lens and interrogating my own mm -hmm. creativity. The last story I told took me two years to, to tell. And the ways I had to contort myself to tell that story um, mm -hmm. took their toll. So this most recent story, I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to like write something for fun again. Mm -hmm. But so I'm like, okay, the story I want to write is like, character goes drag races the devil in hell for, for his girlfriend's soul back. Right? Like that's basic premise, right? That's it. Nothing. Nothing. What was that? Told four thousand. You know, Orfesa and Vridiki told four thousand years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> just. Yeah, yeah. Or the, you know, Dante's Inferno, right? Or uh, the Divine yeah. Comedy. Comedy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so like just, just doing that. Um, and then, like, but now I need characters to go through that. So then it's like, okay, well, I know my premise, the story I want to tell. Okay, now, now I need characters for this. And then I sit there and I write all the characters down. And I write, okay, you know kind of get an idea as i'm writing out the characters i'm getting an idea of the interactions i want the characters to have down the line which is a mm -hmm. trap but because they'll very rarely end up in the same room the way you thought they would um <laughs> and you know you get the characters all fleshed out and i give the characters their own little backstories and and um yeah. you know who they are and everything they've done and then i take mm -hmm. all of that stuff i wrote about the characters and I th basically throw it away. Like I just, I move it off to the side. It, it, it. I'll never read it again. And then I start writing the story, so that when the yeah. characters begin to interact in the story I'm writing, they have their own life. Like I've built them, and they'll start doing things that I didn't intend, just because the way I'm in the scene and I'm writing, and their their life comes to them, and they'll just like, like I didn't want a love interest in in my last story I wrote. Um, it just happened. Didn't it, it just happened. I'm like, I don't want a love story here. I'm like these, but these two characters had such attention while they were like talking. Okay. I found them like quipping off of each other a little bit more, and the romance developing as the story went on. And I'm like, you guys just went against my wishes because like I wanted a whole thing about like I'm trying to have a lot more like platonic love in a lot of my stories, like more platonic and more platonic because I think you know just positive, you know, non-sexual love amongst like. Peer, your peer group, I think, is something that we need to work on a little bit more. Certainly in, in America, because we're reckless individuals, and I think it's taking its toll on our collective consciousness. Mm -hmm. uh, not just like feeling love for each other, but um, <laughs> uh, so I'm like trying to write more platonic, like more platonic love stories and stuff like that. But these two fucking characters went against my wishes of that because they just they decided themselves. They decided themselves, and it's it's funny. You know, it, people will hear this and they say, "What? That's not how. What's how how it works?" No, it's absolutely how it works. And when you think I'm I'm just gonna make a little like a painting, um, simply like, "All right, I'm gonna paint this thing." Suddenly, the next day, the cloak is blue, and before starting, that cloak should have been red or something. Mm -hmm. 
So who decided? Well, you see the the thing and you say, well, it it that way. I didn't have it in mind, but here it is. Mm-hmm. In the same way, um, it doesn't translate really well in English, but my character in my first novel was, in a sense, his name was means stop. It's a very typical name. Stamatis is a very typical name in Greek, but stamata means stop. Mm-hmm. So it would have been like his name is Light, but his um, last name is Red. So I had this discussion between him and um, this uh, this other character, and they go, "And what's your last name?" Uh, it's Light. So and she goes, "So your name is Red Light, and you work in traffic." And that blew that blew my own mind because I hadn't even made the connection mm-hmm. up to the point when he said Light. And she answered, so your name is Red Light and you work in traffic? I'm like, holy shit, that's yeah. true. Yeah. So that's the, that's the that's always the first example that comes to mind. And it's so amazing when it happens. It's so amazing when yeah. you decide well, that's where it goes because it's not the plot, it's the character. My, my agent told me when I gave her my second novel, she said, these two should be together. I said, no. That's not where. That's not the characters. Yeah. Maybe the plot could have gone that way, but that's not the characters. They should not be together. And this is a character who lost his wife, and there is another character who she dearly loves him, in a very, well, she always loved him, uh-huh. but he's not there. She would like to be with him, but he's not there. When in my agent said, when they're walking there, shouldn't she go for it? I said. Well, she does, but he says stop because he has lost his wife. It's been very, in a sense, recent six months. Mm-hmm. It's just not him. So she would have said, but yeah, there should be a love interest. No, you know what? No, you don't have to go there. The character did not go there. The character stopped him before, stopped her before I decided that he should stop her yeah. in a sense. Yeah. And that's the magic of writing. And when it happens, it it it's, it sings. Yes. So that's how it is. Yeah. So amazing to do. Well, it's, it's for, for people who aren't necessarily writers, but maybe tabletop gamers. It's a lot like when you write a story for like your, um, like when you're writing like a, an RP, like an RPG adventure and like you write some stuff that you intend, but your players don't necessarily like your players have their own intentions. To, you know, they're living, breathing adults with lives playing a character mm-hmm. in your, your world, quote unquote. And, um, they'll make a decision to do something and it will like just be better than you'd ever planned. And they'll pick up on a detail. You didn't realize you put in the world. You're like, Oh yeah, I did mention that. Didn't I? And then like, and suddenly they've like kind of like ad libbed themselves into this magical place that you like maybe set up, but you didn't really necessarily, that wasn't where you were going. And, but the characters uh, there's they have so much agency of their own and mm-hmm. you start to sort of like, harmonize with your player group that same thing happens with with writing too and i'm not convinced that the characters i create for the worlds and the stories i tell are any less real than any character ever played by one of my friends or anything else because of just you know the you know i'm i you know believe firmly still like an artist i am constantly ripping off my own influences over and over and over again like I don't think there's a, a, a unique plot in all of fiction. I think they've all been done to death. So it's just about doing it your way and doing it yep. entertainingly and doing it interestingly with, with characters you want to see there. You know, every Coen mm-hmm. Brothers film, uh, you know, like, Oh Brother, Where Out Thou? It's just the Iliad. But what if instead of 
you know, what, except instead of like that time period, it's yeah. deep South America. Like, and, no. you know, you know uh, like, what if, you know, uh, what if we have a heist uh, kidnapping plot, except it's the dude, you know, like some like shaggy, <laughs> you know, like taking like different stories and just kind of like allowing yourself to, to like I said, mm -hmm. other genres are very pretentious about pretending they didn't just rip off their influences. Horror's got an honesty to it. It's yeah. uh, the best horror in my mind. They they make love letters to the genre. They they're always yeah. you're always kind of like you said, like with Silent Hill. Um, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, 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 I do, I'm see, I'm sensing a through fair, like a, a through line from like our mm -hmm. earliest influences. Cause Jacob's ladder and, and silent hill were both very formative for me as well. And yeah. I got obsessed with the aesthetic of, of that stuff before I, I got it. I, I picked up on the undertones and the other stuff mm -hmm. as I, as I got older and I matured as a, as someone. Uh, mm -hmm. I think the thin, the thing, the thin ones you talked about, the thin people. It remind. I loved what you des described. I could just see it very, very clearly. I think Robert Bloch wrote something similar uh -huh. to that. To that, but in that sense, it was just a person behind a lamplight in the middle of the street. But what you described, it's basically this being afraid and being all the that whatever negative feelings these things make you and stretch it in a sense. Mm -hmm. That's how I saw it in my mind. Like yeah. you said that, and my mind went a million miles an hour yeah. because what you talked about is human, but what block story was, there was a thin person who walked and got disappeared behind a lamplight. And that gives you thoughts and it gives it getting spooky and all that. But what you talked about, which maybe you came across it earlier, maybe you read block when you were younger or something yeah. or you, so that idea, what you described, someone could have said, "Oh yeah, that's that's block." No, that's that's you. Yeah. What you described actually touched me in that sense. I said, "Wow, imagine that." Well, I, so, I yeah, I think it came from a place of like, uh, like um, the idea of them like being an invasive force that like kind of gets in mm -hmm. you and and you know takes over your veins and pulls at you is is I. I could psychoanalyze it and I would be, I would probably be wrong because psychology is com way more complex than we like to make it. But, you know, an early experience of my mom with a needle and heroin and an overdose and having to call 911, like I can imagine, mm -hmm. you know, uh, some struggles I had later on where I'm worried that I'm descending into the same like uh, afflictions my mom was with my alcohol mm -hmm. and, you know, I did it for fun, but now I'm just doing it every day and like thinking that I'm not in necessarily control of of myself anymore and if there's this invasive presence <laughs> that, gets inside, that, that gets Lack inside that that gets inside what a scary feeling yeah. what a scary scary feeling yeah and exploring it through writing or reading that's a way to cope yeah i always come back to the word coping yeah 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 yeah, I, yeah. so um I, I see we got gets are, are uh, pretty spooky the bad moon's influence corrupts the land when it draws close oh, yeah. spreading madness and mutation i guess we could get into it a little bit now so you you keep mentioning yeah. like your love of 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 ghost stories and and greek mythology mm -hmm. and stuff like that which is it's really interesting cuz as an you know i'm 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 not greek i'm i'm of irish mostly irish descent um you know, second mm -hmm. generation irish uh, irish immigrants my grandparents came over here on both sides of the family and then you know Amer mm -hmm. and america happened here um but i always look you know like you know for me reading greek mythology is like it's 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 um 
almost like it's like agnostic. It's divorced from like mm-hmm. culture. You know, like yeah, I'm, I get it. It's like you're reading Scandinavian gods and all that. Yeah, like Thor, Noden, and all that stories. For yeah. me, I, I I see what you mean. I get what you mean. But for you, like Greek, growing up with Greek mythology, it's not just reading like you know this. You're not like divorced from it. It's it's part of your heritage mm-hmm. and culture. You know, so yeah. that that's got to be. I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm just it just kind of dawned on me that these, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes when, like uh, I think we we have a uh, what is it? What is it I'm looking for? I don't think we always rec- recognize how incomplete our perspectives are on things, even even as an appreciator of of stuff. You know, yeah. just so. Um, yeah, but... this this weight of time. What you're talking about, like there is a weight. Uh, like if you go to Thermopylae, the hot gates, as in 300 they called it. Thermopylae. Thermopylae means literally hot gates. If you go there and dig, after five minutes you will find arrowheads. With still, if you go there, it's gonna take five minutes, and you will dig like they stop digging for them like Persian arrowheads of thousands and thousands of arrows. And like the museums are full of them uh-huh. because they're there. And the idea of this going through, like it's almost a mythical idea. 2,500 years ago, that idea is there. Like I, I used to, my, my university is called the Aristotle University of Thessaloniki. That's where Aristotle used to live, where I actually had my uh, university years. Or in my hometown, right next door, uh, is where the person who thought of the idea of the atom lived. So that idea of time and of this great weight of what you talk about, about culture and generations and generations of getting here, that that gives you uh, pause in a sense. Mm -hmm. And you can imagine how unique are we in the end? Mm-hmm. How unique are we? So I come back to that monologue you talked about in Midnight Mass and talked about, in the end at least, about uniqueness. Mm-hmm. So there are, this is cosmic horror in a sense. Mm-hmm. And I do like cosmic horror. Same. The idea that we're infinitesimal. I, there was this story where, uh, I don't remember the name of the short story, but there is this man who like runs in the church and starts shouting that the your prayers don't go to the ears that you think. The thing that hears you is cold and cares not. Something like that. Is inhuman Super and cold bad. and cares not. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. Like yeah. he said, you have the ears of of you have the eyes of the worm and ears of stone. I love it. Like yeah, no. it just these are like little prompts. But that was my idea about this uh, rantcast. We are ranting, which is on on point. Yeah, yeah, way on rant. <laughs> the idea of prompt, of prompts, of ideas. Like I had an idea of someone losing, having someone being afflicted, yeah. like having a diseased uh, kid, and they hear a cackling voice from inside the hole of a tree, and that voice says, "You can save your kid. What you? The only thing you need to do is take my breath." And take it to the village as well. And the the voice, the cackling voice is an ergling. It says, just throw my breath in the well and you will save your kid. And the, obviously the well is poisoned by Nurgle and everybody dies, but the kid lives. But the way it lives is in a very, very horrific for the person, for the parent way before the, harbinger, uh, the harbingers come over and take her to make her harbinger of decay, which is the, the lore behind uh, the harbinger of the gate, like 
they come and take kids from villages and turn them into harbingers. Yeah. And I love that idea. And that was a prompt. Yeah. A, a nurgling talking through a hole in a tree. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, so, so this was a prompt and it, it made that story in my mind. Have you written this or is this is just something, a thought to explore? No, it's, it's, it's been living in my mind for, well, since I started playing Nurgle, that was like 2019 or something. Yeah. I so, love that. Yeah. See, I, I think, and, and now maybe we can transition. Normally, we've, we've reversed the format. Normally, we uh, mm -hmm. we pretend we're talking about Age of Sigmar. And then after mm -hmm. about like an hour, then we flip to talking about like literally everything else that I was yeah. uh, trying to like tie Age of Sigmar to. We've just done the opposite. Yeah. So now we talk about Age of Sigmar. Um, just one one final thing before we go on to some like horror writing prompts for, for Age of Sigmar. And I kind of and yeah. I kind of lay out my conundrum with Age of Sigmar mm -hmm. horror. Um, the, and this is a personal conundrum. This isn't like a, a critical analysis of Age of Sigmar and horror or anything like that. It's just like something I've struggled with mm -hmm. personally. Um, I just want to say like, for me, Age of Sigmar has always read very Greek mythology, like very, yeah. very demigod. Yeah, gods like the, walking around that. Small yeah, like yeah. the like the gods are 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 humanity turned to eleven. They have not only are they like all powerful and stuff like that, but they also have all of our vices and like all everything's turned up with them. We like as someone yeah. who, who who loves you know loves Greek mythology, but is also like Grecian. Is that your read too? Am I am I crazy? Is there something to it? Hundred percent. You know, you have Sigmar, who's Zeus, and you have Nagash, who's uh, Hades, Hades or Pluto, yeah. however you want to call it. Gorka Morka, who's Ares, who hunts and is the god of war in a sense. He's bloodthirsty and all that. And you have the mortals, and the gods in Greek mythology are very, very, in a sense, childish. Yeah, petty. Their emotions are huge, petty. Great, great word. And it's there. It's I see it and I can I can understand that when we are talking about Hero Hammer, ah, Age of Sigmar is turning to Hero Hammer, everybody plays Teclas or Nagash or Archeon. I'm like, Yeah, I don't mind. Yeah, I don't it either. feels correct. It yeah. feels right in my in my head in that sense. So uh, yeah, that it, it is there. What you're talking about, it's there. I can see it. And <laughs> it's I think it was a reason why I I think I got into it because it it spoke to that idea of demigods and gods walking the earth yeah. and mortals trying to, uh, in a sense, resist or join and all that. Well, just trying to get through it, right? Like, to, yeah. yeah, like, yeah. yeah, I mean, and, and we, we, we sit in this sort of mythic mentality for Age of Sigmar. And by the way, a hot take for, for not necessarily chat gang, because they know where I, I come, come at this issue, but anyone who happens upon the VOD, um, Hero hammer is a word that means two different things that mm -hmm. is t absorbing the old connotation and negativity from when it met something completely different in an old edition of the game and oh. repurposed because it's colloquially convenient for now. Hero mm -hmm. hammer before, like literally you stacked your heroes and like you put them in your little units and you duel them and you, you know, the game broke down in that sense. Here, yeah, mm -hmm. there are heroes, but it's not the same type of game that's playing out that, that people are alluding to. So they're pulling the negative connotation from the old bad like the old bad way mm -hmm. and just ascribing it to the new connotation. And so it gets like yeah. just becomes this weighted term that's like interwoven with like old biases and new biases and alike. And it's I, I just yeah, find it. I feel of, like I'm 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 lucky there because I started the game in I, like nine months before 2.0 came out 
So it was getting, they already knew what 2.0 is going to look like for them. Right. Like Eidneth had just come out, Nurgle had just come out, the books. So we were on our way to 2.0. So for me, I feel lucky because I can always go back to the lore and read things. I like, I sat and read the Vampire Counts book a few months ago, read about the Karstens and all those. Yeah. Which was fun for me, but I pretty, I'm pretty sure that the game is in a healthy spot right now. Mm-hmm. So, and even lore-wise, I I think that the lore of the game is at a good enough place, like good enough for me. I don't need more, but I, I do love reading it. Mm-hmm. Like reading the short fictions, the flash fictions, and the battle tomes is my favorite thing mm-hmm. from the battle. Like the, those little uh, 150 word stories they have. Yeah. That flat, what we call flash fiction. Yeah, and I think that those, all those negative, all that negativity and those negative connotations, they don't really stick for us, yeah, newer players. Yeah, if you parachute into, in, in that sense, I feel like I'm lucky. Yeah, yeah, if you parachute yeah. into Age of Sigmar right now, like you don't have, you don't carry the weight from that stuff. Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah. Um, but so, so where I was kind of going with that is just reset to me. Age of Sigmar is for me, it feels mythic. And I've always heard it said, for more my film friends on the side of like horror, like I, I'm certainly come at it from a writer stance and think of things like as a writer. And uh, the film I think about as an appreciator of film, not so much a crafter of film. So it's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. But a lot of my, like a few of my my horror friends who are in the films like business, they always mm-hmm. say that the difference for them between shooting horror and shooting comedy is where you shoot the camera. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that that horror in Age of Sigmar is something that could be really compelling. Like, you mentioned your writing prompt of, like, it's a nurgling in a tree. And Mm -hmm. we're usually zoomed out of the battlefield. We're disconnected. We're ambient, floating above it, watching these things. And to put the horror into Age of Sigmar, I think you got to put the camera down. Yeah, you got to zoom that camera in. 100%. I had an idea, another prompt about it, if you want to hear it. Yeah. And the idea came out of Miscast. How how ridiculous is that? Like Miska, two ones. I had yeah. an idea about um, a mage, um, probably the collegiate. What, what are they called? Collegiate arcane or yeah, something like that. Collegiate Never arcane. Said it yeah. Out loud. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he is probably in one of those cities that maybe Hollowheart, maybe I don't know, in Akshi. and he's trying to make a protection spell, and he has captured a little demon, probably a Zinch demon. Mm-hmm. And there is a back and forth between them. And when he realizes that he's made a huge mistake in the spell, and the the like a seal gate spell that has horribly miscast it. So there are runes start appearing on his chest, on his uh, gut, on his arms. And he realizes that this is a gate, and this gate will open mm. through him and through him everything's going to come out. So he needs to leave the city as fast as he can. And the demon follows him because the demon is now free because he miscast so bad that his own uh, protection circle is broken. So the, the demon is ridiculing him. Again, a little demon and one nameless mage in the middle of a city that we know. And this mage knows that he needs to leave the city as fast as possible. Otherwise, he's going to be a gate where... Uh, from which demons are going to come out. But the the city is protected by Stormcast, and Stormcast tried to snuff out chaos. 
and he's literally a beacon of chaos mm -hmm. and this thing is starting to light up so he needs to run as fast as possible and still avoid the stormcast we don't understand that he cannot die because if he dies mm -hmm. everything opens up yeah and that started from the idea of miscast so i could even see him trying to go through the city trying to avoid guards trying to avoid suspicion but how can you do that when it's in the middle of the night and there's a person running for not just for his life because his life is is gone he knows it and the demon tells him you're dead you're gone you will be dust and everything around you will also be dust because you made a big mistake my friend mm -hmm. or something like that yeah and yeah i know you know it's miscast i love it i it's just a little prompt but that's what you talked about zooming in mm -hmm. it's not an idea about nagash or teclas or archeon mm -hmm. it's an idea where you go as in as possible because we cannot actually i understand what that your problem with aos and horror is that how do you communicate in a sense with character well when a character is just like bigger than life well for for me i've had a few problems with writing fiction for age of sigmar um specifically mm -hmm. um one of them is i tend to be a fantastical kind of like even my horror stuff gets goes into that like jacob's ladder kind of like weird esoterica mm -hmm. Um, and when I'm not doing that, I'm, I'm being rather like tongue in cheek, like the esoterica horror of Age of Sigmar for me doesn't feel like it's horror. It feels like it's fantasy. It feels like it's mm -hmm. mythic. It feels like it's over the top. And so my struggle gotcha. is, is zooming that camera in, in a manner where I can still have my flights of fancy, uh, live in my realm of metaphor, but then to have that metaphor be literally quote unquote, literally scary. Um, you know, in the in the literal sense for the characters, and that that's for me. There's a small disconnect. The other part is my ability to put myself in the world of Age of Sigmar as like a foot troop or as a just a ne regular necromancer. Like I tend to play bad guys, and mm -hmm. you know that's where I like Mike Flanagan again. Um, say that five times fast. Um, it, where I like Mike Flanagan's approach to horror, he's got an empathy even for the villains. Oh yeah. And it's just oh, something yeah. you don't God damn, yeah. like. Like there is, in, there's a lot of horror that celebrates its villains, right? Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of horror that necessarily has empathy for the devil, right, or sympathy for the devil. Like, like Jason is very much celebrated, but you're not empathizing with Jason because if you were no. empathizing with Jason, especially mortal Jason, sort of pre-zombie Jason, you'd wonder about the psychological mm -hmm. state that Jason has to be in to be this ruthless killer you'd we'd we'd get we'd see jason struggling with the fact that he's just a just a wanton murderer right like he, we'd see him or we wouldn't see him struggling with it but the empathy there would would be in some other manner where like he's like i know i should feel bad about this but i don't right like we don't that but like with mike flanagan with um with rose with a hat really comes to mind as one probably the I'm best on on-screen vampires I have seen in I don't know how long, um, and mm -hmm. you know, shout out to Stephen King for the for the idea to kind of reconceptualize vampires that way. But really, like the Doctor Sleep, the film is the empathy for Rose with a hat and like the sort of like the the vampires quote unquote in that film what? is part of me is what makes it such a tense movie. It's not like overtly like terrifying in any sense, like there. It mostly lingers on suspense and concern, but mm -hmm. you end up with this kind of like concern for the villains or the antagonists, and knowing that it has to come to a head with your concern for the characters, 
you know, for the for the you know doctor sleep and 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 the, yeah. and, the and the girl in it. So you end up with this like you're like, man, I really like these characters, but I get where the bad guys are coming from, and you know that that tension's mm-hmm. going to lead to them clashing, and yeah. and that suspense is is what makes. I mean, I think Doctor Sleep is one of the the better. I find the Slave's Darkness have that. Yeah. The idea that yeah most mortals there are they don't have a choice. They don't have like being a slave. You don't have a choice. If you're a slave, someone has enslaved you. You didn't have any question on the matter. And I think the the name Slaves to Darkness is a is a very very apt choice because you either choose to die and perish and be gone or be part of something that has enslaved the world. Mm. I love the idea that the mortal realms chaos is winning. I mean, maybe in terms of game right now, order is the strongest faction by far in terms of, you know, the meta and all that. But Mm. in the lore, chaos has won. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's small bastions of hope, essentially fighting back the, the just overwhelming darkness. But if you go back, if you look, if you focus on someone who's try who tried to save his family, maybe, they tried to save their family. Maybe they failed. Maybe we're talking about a marauder or a kid's warrior or something. Mm-hmm. That person probably has grown or has been was born into slavery. But what about the first ones when the gates of Azir closed and the ones that were left outside? What about those people who had a choice? Can you can you get into that idea? Can you like I love that mm-hmm. in the sense of this is tragic. Mm-hmm. and horrific and there is something there mm-hmm. so um there are places in the mortal realms where you can dig out humanity you know and the okay. how it turns that's why i think chaos and even corn in a sense that corn but i'm a corn player and the idea that they need to like go up the stairs this the the ladder chaos is a ladder as little finger used to say but they have to go up because Everybody behind them wants to kill them to take their spot. Yeah, if you stand so, still, you're dead, right? Like, you have to keep climbing. Yeah. If you ever stop climbing, like, the person behind you yeah. is just going to step over you on their way to the top, right? Or step on you, rather, on their way to the top. And it's do, you remember, do you remember the, the part in Midnight Mass where he said, um, the death is a waterfall? Like, death. Oh, yeah, yeah. What an amazing idea. And that's, that's the one where Corrin came to my mind. Because blood for the blood god, in a sense, how much bloodshed is in the story of that? It must be huge. So, of course, he's not going to care where the blood flows from because it's so much. Well, I mean, and so I mean, that, that this is the thing is there's like a machismo that's always a sort of like sort of, uh, I think, associated with corn. Like, you know, I think of them in the very fantastical, like heavy metal this is brutal, like the Nathan explosion sense. Man of War. Yeah, and pulling it back into a like a horror light, you know, mm-hmm. the mindset of this this character that like okay, so maybe you're desensitized from the gore a little bit in a story like this, but like so yeah. you got to focus on the humanity, right? Yeah. Like, if you think about it, we're in the middle of hopefully not in the middle, but we're in a pandemic and we have normalized that. Today there's a plague in the world, and we have normalized. Can you imagine someone being born uh, as a, in the cult of corn? Of course, they will have normalized it. And like, if you try to get into the mind of a of a mythical uh, human being, yeah, in a mythical world, yeah, it... if we can do it, those can do it as well, in a sense. So, what you said, being desensitized by 
gore and all that. This is what you do. You kill because if you don't kill, you are the one who will die. And let me tell you, as a corn player, we have no rend. We wound on fours. We're, there's no machismo there, man. It's, it's fake. <laughs> they're, they're drawn. The abs and the muscles, they're just drawn. It's just for show. Yeah, it's the airbrush. Like the, there, yeah, yeah, they're airbrushed on. There's... <laughs> like the, the death bringer hits on threes, wounds on fours, has no rent, damage one. Come on, man. Yeah, he's... But it's the corn doesn't care from whence the blood flows. Like the, he is a death bringer. It's just himself. Corn is a suicide yeah. cult. You see, like that's. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you while we're talking through this, you're talking about like writing prompts for 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 you know, AOS. Um, mm-hmm. You know, is there a hope here that some other people will like maybe hear this episode and like maybe try to write some like get some rant cast horror stories written like, you know, like maybe yeah. I mean, I would love to have the chat afterwards. We're going to see the chat right now. But if anyone could throw any horror prompts there, we cannot we cannot uh, assure them that they're not going to be used at yeah. some point. Yeah. But I would love it. There's, It's so easy to, you know, it's food for thought. It's so nice tingling to the brain to throw an idea out. Like, do you remember It Follows? Yes. The movie. Fantastic. Love Fantastic. it. Fantastic. Love that movie. Well, Go Trek. Is the creature from It Follows, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Talking about Boogeyman. And AOS. I mean, Gotrick is, is the the AOS yeah. Boogeyman right now in both in both if senses. If you're an orc, if you're an orc, like an elite unit that cannot kill Gotrek, Gotrek is the thing from It Follows. Yeah, like run away. So yeah, I mean, well, yeah. I I see. I I like um. I think Gotrick in the sort of cultural sense is the Boogeyman right now. Everyone's afraid off the table. Like they don't want to face. Gotrick and play against Gotrick right now and what do we do if we run into Gotrick and um like he is like oh if I would have had this discussion a year ago I would have been talking about armies as the boogeyman you know change host and uh you know KO and like I would have been talking about armies as the boogeyman you know an army <laughs> that you're just afraid you're kind of terrified to play against and right now it's just it's sort of like like one singular model it is Gotrick and yep. so like you think about like the sort of the meta consensus like outside the game people are afraid of gotrek what about the people in the world of warhammer (laughs) okay like zooming in that camera i mean this has to be the terminator it follows on steroids like the original terminator terminator 2 goes a lot more a lot less horror a lot more action let's go back to one yeah go back to one where it's just it can't be killed it can't be reasoned with it's out to murder you and it's after you and the worst part the, the part that adds horror is what I wrote to you like two days ago. This thing that comes towards you and kills you, it screams, kill me. It's what it does because he wants to die. Yeah. So can you imagine this thing trying to say, kill me and cannot die and only like slaughters around him <laughs> screaming. And he can't, and he can't but stop. Nobody can. Yeah. How messed up is that? Yeah. Like be, be like a warrior uh, seeing a flood of your own, own comrades being there and there's like a blood storm, like sprayed blood and there's a shout saying, kill me, kill me all over again, but it never happens. Well, like I, I, I yeah. the, the one writing prompt you were kind of talking about, like I actually do want to see that story where, where, where it's like a trog, like just a peaceful trog village somewhere in like Gur, away from the wars we all fight, right? Like cause, you know, conceivably mm-hmm. we're all, like we have all these wars going on across the modal realms, there's all these reasons for resources and 
campaigns and Zinchian whatever is going on, right? But just no. this one just trog village. One trog village. They're, they harvest mushrooms, you know, like like That's there's the yeah, there's like probably some pretty badass trogs who like who who go out and like they kill um, the big Gurian beasts and keep the villages safe, yeah. you know, like you yeah. know they. They do some magic occasionally. They catch glimpses of the bad moon, but mostly, I mean, the, the bad moon's never actually ascended over their village, so it only exists in the esoteric, only in the mythologic. The bad moon, like literally, one of the gods is in the world pulling the bad moon along with him. Like he can actually just make it come with him. That Trog village randomly in Gur is never going to see the bad moon, right? Like yeah. the realms are infinitely big, and it's just this one, this one village, and then like. We focus on, like, one hunter, right? And he goes out, like, one hunting party doesn't come back one night, like, of Trog. Like, there's some, you know, they're going out and killing some Gurian huge, like, some Megalodon Gurian beast for to feed, and they're going to have some feast for their, like, festival feast, right? Like, their annual yeah. cool whatever, right? And he's just, he's the guy who goes out, like, he's a hunter, and he's maybe a little aged out, right? You know, so he's, or young. Yeah, or, or young, one or two, right? You got to have some reason why he's not with the main party. But, like, is a familiar enough to go find the old party. He finds them all just slaughtered. Yeah. Right. And you've got that moment where just, we're just like, this was, no, like, no no beast I know has ever done this. Look at how clean the cuts are. Right. And just this get into the horror of it. Claw. Yeah. yeah. This is no claw or fang. Like, get into yeah. it. And then just, like, slowly develop the story People like villagers going out and missing and hearing tales from like maybe a sister trog village that's mm -hmm. spored somewhere else and like he happens mm -hmm. upon that village just everyone slaughtered to the man. Yeah. And he slowly finds out like that Gotrick did this and their village is just in Gotrick's path. Yeah. Just the thing walking, shouting, kill me, kill me all over again. Yeah. Just on the on the and... And... On the horizon, you know, distantly, like, you, you can close out the story without even slaughtering his village, depending on what type of horror you're going no. for. And just, he hears the Duarden, like, look up the Duarden words for it. Like, it, I'm sure it sounds like Celtic or Gallic or something like that. Mm -hmm. And just, like, you write that, just all caps and the wavy, spooky language echoing off the walls and stuff like that. And then, like, you can even disguise that he's shouting, kill me, and it's just this guttural, horrible mm -hmm. shout. You know, so you can have that yeah, filter. Yeah, if, if I could see it, the the story would take place with only sound. Maybe you would hear the horns of alarm from the village, from the the uh. scout or from the guards, and then they start to, they start to slaughter them, and there's just shouting and death, and this you never see Godric. Yeah, they don't have no idea what they're saying. Yeah, and someone maybe gets a glimpse of orange. Yeah. Hair yeah. in the in the porches or just, something. Just this mane of fire, right? Like this this beast, this th with this mane of fire, its eyes like cloaked yeah. in shadow. Like you never even see. Even gold pro flare. I mean, yeah, he's so uh, co co yeah. he's so viscous and caked in gore. You don't even see a dwarf. You never never even describe it being a dwarf, right? Like you don't even because nope. these or the, these these trogoths don't have the advantage of perspective, like. They've maybe never heard of Gotrick, you know? Yeah. Like, and well, they just see they this... Heard of the Slayer. Yeah, they've heard of the Slayer. They've heard some distant myths of this this mm -hmm. this village eater, this Slayer, right? Like, that just... <laughs> village eater, love it. Yeah. Like, and just... See? Yeah. It's there. Yeah. And it is a boogeyman of AOS. So you can have those things 
like come into the story and they would come in like a, a scything wind which which is what would happen if any of the big guys that we have would appear mm-hmm. like whoever it is in this case Gotrek would work but it would be Archeon it would be Morathi anything that colossal in power it would be like too too big for them to understand too big for them to handle and that would be horror in the mortal realms See, like want... an AOS horror story it doesn't have names but you do understand whose influence is it from yeah. See, I, I almost want a story now where like um where where one of Nagash's avatars has shown up to an area and just snuffed mm-hmm. out the life instantly. But the people in the plot don't know that they all just died. Mm-hmm. And so you have this sort of like um uh uh what is it? The others like sort of mm-hmm. like the inverted haunted house story where like right. they go on to gradually find right. out that they all died in just yeah. kind of like the wink of an eye. And these, yeah. like, ghosts that they're being haunted by are, like, the literal battle of a bunch of Stormcast and shit that are still alive and they're only catching phantoms and glimpses of. And in their story, mm-hmm. the people who, like... So people then start, like... You know, so things go kind of, like, hyper-real for a little bit because as Nagash's mm-hmm. presence, everyone has been wiped out of it. They've all died instantly, but their souls are left behind, right? And the world starts, in a Jacob's Ladder sense, just starting getting really gradually weirder and weirder. And the people that they know begin becoming spirit, like very the various tormented spirits for like his legion, but they don't see the like model, and, and they just see their friends wasting away. And you know, one of them goes psychotic and starts killing, you know, kills a bunch of them. And like you have a little bit of a crazies plot where they're 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 all losing themselves in this yeah. world that they don't realize that they've been suddenly thrust into a sort of purgatory, and then. That's a story where I do want the last shot to actually go outside of their like shadow realm, you know, of their little purgatory, mm-hmm. and we get that shot of the village, you know, like maybe a, like a fucking some some stormcast guy has beaten back whatever Nagashian avatar, and and they're looking at just all of the wretched bodies just strewn about, yeah. strewn about, and just like man, they I hope they died quick type thing, and like or <laughs> some throwaway line where like at least they died quick, but we know of the story we just read that quick for yeah. them was like a week of just horrible atrocity like and tragedy tragedy. Yeah. right and tragedy yeah and Oof, man things start coming up i hope we give some food for thought to our friends in the chat because that's like Eidneth. Eidneth deep can have that the, the idea of forgotten nightmares mm-hmm. the idea that you don't remember oh. the thing that attacked you like you start you like you imagine people uh, like a group running away from their ha- from their from their place of habitat mm-hmm. and at once they forget why they're running and then it happens again and they're in a chase where they always forget what's happening like this can be like because you know they have raiding parties where they go for souls mm-hmm. and the idea of being chased by something then you're like do you remember memento when there's that that scene where it says all right he was running and then he stops and says, why am I running? And then he looks back and the person chasing him is behind him. And so he starts running again. And one thing that I, I noticed in Age of Sigmar very early was that it had to do a lot with identity. There was the theme of identity was huge in Age of Sigmar. Maybe it was in sort of a meta way that we're still trying to see what happens. But the idea that Stormcast tend to forget part of themselves when they're being reforged or that Scarbrand was 
he's the the strongest weapon of Korn, and he has completely lost his identity. He's just a weapon, mm-hmm. and you see that in I don't remember other parts right now, but the idea of losing your identity or flesh eater corpse. Again, a lot of horror there. And what you said about comedy, you can have, like, you can make a stand-up comedy show only on flesh eater courts if you think about it. But at the same time, it can be also tragic. So this idea of identity for, uh, from this part is who and where they are, and that is, uh, that was a big part of Age of Sigma when it started. So I could, I would catch those themes a lot there. Well, even the, like Night Haunt are like sort of one of the vanguard of our armies is, um, you know, I'm, I'm the death player, obviously. Um, their whole thing is like they're sort of torments. They're sort of trapped in whatever they're, they're punished with their identities in life. Like they're, they're literal, you know, if you were this, this, you know, horrible murderer, you become one of the executioners in the afterlife. And all you have for your fate is just sort of looping on this thing you, you this, pronounced identity or, or this 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 sort of equivocal identity that go you go back to the Greek mythology what you said with the pettiness and maliciousness of yeah. like Nagash in that sense he turns them into that yeah with that that yeah. almost childish glee maliciousness of you did that I'm gonna do it to you and like the Greek gods did to the characters yeah. in mythological story yeah yeah Ossiarch yeah. Bone Reapers are Maybe I wonder if they speak to me so much because Ossiarch Bone Reapers are, you know, off, they're like an amalgam. They're a gish of souls. And, you mm-hmm. know, I sometimes have crises of identity where I'm just like, I feel like my my mind never shuts up and there's just a bunch of me living inside my own head. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I wonder if there's something about that that just, you know, I love this idea of, of, you know, I mean, obviously, being a dirty socialist, I'm a big fan of like all the like all these people coming together to work towards you know the common good goal of Nagash. You know, right? Um, I live in Sweden, like yeah. That's, what <laughs> that's what that's what the subtext is there. It's 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 about socialism. No, uh, uh, orange soda. There is or is right. Um, since you mentioned the Osirik Bone Reapers, uh, I don't know if people in the chat have read the story that came out during Broken Realms. I was saying that there was that story that came out during the Broken Realms uh, era on Osiarch Born Reapers. Did you read that? The where they were playing the chess game. No, I didn't Did read this one. I didn't story? read this one. No, no, no. Where was I this? Think you will enjoy it. There was during Broken Realms. There was a short story on Osiarch Born Reapers, and it's the character from the the box from the Ogres. Vok Mordian. Where he play, yeah, where he plays a sort of a well, he plays Warhammer in a sense. But he plays a chess game that the Bone Reapers have created. And I loved it. I loved the idea that they have culture, that they have libraries, that they have all that sense of uh, no, almost like Catacross is Alexander the Great. Even his name in Greek, it's not Alexander, it's Alexandros Catacross. It's mm-hmm. there. I can I can I can hear it and hear and Xanthos as well. Mm-hmm. These are Greek names and maybe even Roman with Roman influences, of course. But I love the idea that they have their own. Oh, we culture. all know the Greeks were better than the Romans. The Romans just pretended they wrote all of history. Like that's well, they came afterward, so <laughs> you know they they had things to see. But yeah. uh, I I think that if I had started the game around that time, I would have built myself uh, Osiarch Bone Reapers army. I hope they start playing more like they're. It feels like. A very strategic army. I wish that if you like, 
I'm not going to pretend I'm great at the game. I'm good at the game, but I would love to be able to play where a game where strategy is important, where you feel like you have Catacross and you can lead your legions the way he reads in Wrath of the Ever Chosen, for example. I love they, that idea. They When they first came out, they really did feel like that. Um, yeah. because they had RDP and they had an abundance of it and you were using and you were making these decisions and and um, the slowness of the army actually really does play to the feeling like you're like a strategic general because you have to like yeah. set up your schemes and and follow through with your plans and they really did play like that but when everybody mm -hmm. got the command abilities the same, like sort of the same way and now they other people have more decisions to make than Osiric Bone Reapers do sort of like broke i guess yeah it it it, it cheapened our thing because it sort of it had to like it, it sort of sacrificed our thing to make mm -hmm. everyone have a better thing, and in a general mm -hmm. sense, I'm happy the whole game got better. And and honestly, like I will uh, like a prop like a like an appropriate hero, I am happy to sacrifice for the greater good. Uh, it's okay, I don't sword. mind. But yeah. ho hopefully, down the line, we get a wave to OBR, and they feel like they should again. I love the the sort of like you know you know great conquering like Catac like you said Catacross mm -hmm. Alexander the Great like. Mm -hmm. I think that's there. Um, his whole or thing. Caesar. In the lore, they do that. He became Caesar. Yeah. For he did not give back the the leadership when he was done with the war. There's so much stuff in the Osiric Born Reapers lore that comes straight from uh, ancient Greek and Roman times. By the way, Corn plays like that. Corn does play like that. There is no char run and charge. There is no rend. There is no damage two. <laughs> There's damage D6. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, means damage to, too. Which means damage too. Yeah, you'll roll the exactly. two on a, every, on, a hit, on a hit of four plus. Remind <laughs> you, the bloodthirster hits on a four plus, like Jesus wept. <laughs> and so, but you have to strive that and think like, if I have this bubble here in the next round, like there's nothing more. Like I, the last, the last um, pain job I did was a bloodstoker. I made my own bloodstoker. The bloodstoker has a great ability that gives you reroll wounds and plus three to run or charge. The thing is, you have to be holy within eight, and you have to like see the matrix. Yeah, this Venn so diagrams of just two turns from now. Two turns from now, when can, where can he be and that unit that I would like to buff be? Mm -hmm. There is nothing like sixteen inch holy within sixteen inch of the blood secretor. That's huge. Like this is royalty for corn. So you have to play a bit like that. I wish it was a bit different. I'm not gonna lie. Wish it was a little bit more potent, but it is what it is. So talking about speaking of horror, a very very dedicated corn player is going to go to a tournament of vast shooting, like Sweden. The Swedish meta loves shooting, mm -hmm. so I'm not looking forward to that part. <laughs> but yeah, we'll see. It's just like a, a horror story <laughs> is like about this corn champion, but there's one gun just circulating out in the wilderness somewhere, and just. Like he's just sweating, fearing the day he has to like, <laughs> like, like yeah. I, I have conquered many of villages, my lord. You have, but none of them have had ranged weaponry before. And like he has to like be proud and like stoic for like his soldiers and just like, yeah, yeah. Oh well. Oh well. Oh. No, it's it's. I think like tone is uh, tone and where you place the camera, like the sort of two key, major keys to to writing horror. Uh, like you could you can take most. Uh, Green room is a really good. Uh, that was in the in the coffin earlier. The mm -hmm. Jeremy Selnier, um, or Selnier. I'm not certain how to pronounce the name. Um, 
has a like I mean it's it's just like a really band goes and plays plays concert finds out they got booked for a like a Nazi rally basically and then like it just decays into this like horror story horror and you're part, like it's yeah. such a mundane it's a very mundane story there's no fantasticalness at all to no. it the most fantasticness is like the there's like a scene with some dogs um, mm-hmm. And I guess it's a little fantastical to see Captain Picard as like the main Nazi, which is like yeah. f- freaking gnarly as hell. Talk about throw you outside of the suspension of disbelief. Well, what are we talking about? He's such a strong actor that like I yeah. I buy it after like the sort of first couple scenes. You know, I told you about uh, Halloween in Dublin and my me and my pregnant wife doing all the horror things. Yeah. We watched The Exorcist in the theater. We watched the the theater uh, the theatrical version rendition of the Exorcist, yeah. yeah. and the voice of the devil was Sarianne McKellen. <laughs> so that threw me out. Yeah, like yeah, he's amazing. He's one time, of the best yeah. actors, but still, you could hear the devil saying all the things that he says to the girl. And I'm still thinking, come on, Gandalf. Yeah, Gandalf. Get out of it, man. Yeah, Gandalf. Get, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that didn't help me. My wife freaked out. My pregnant wife freaked out during that. So I, my our boys are very galvanized. I think. Yeah. No. It's, they made it out. Yeah. No. It's cool. See, it's it's weird. Like, cause some horror doesn't. It it some horror very much is horror for its time and place. You know. Yeah. I feel like books are the written word. This is where the written word tends to hold up a little bit better than than like film. I think film will always be bound a little bit by the technology of its time and actors carry with them certain, you know, uh, things that can break your immersion, right? Like, um, because they carry the roles in a sense, if you think about it. Yeah. Because you, you see the character, but sometimes you cannot not see the actor. Right. Right. Especially when there's like, they're big actors, they will either do what they do and you're going to be okay with it. But still, like what you said, with Captain Picard being the Nazi leader or Gandalf being the devil, mm-hmm. you cannot. Sometimes you just can't. You just can't. There's too much allure there. Mm-hmm. You you cannot not believe. Mm-hmm. But with books, you create them in your mind. I wanted to ask you earlier, since you talked about Flanagan and one of his favorite, my favorite films of his is Gerald's Game. And when he talked about monologues, when he talked about monologues, he did that. He made it into, he pulled it off. He pulled that book off into a film. Mm-hmm. And it's basically a, one person in a room talking with herself. I want to ask you, without um, not going into talking about the author himself, what's your favorite work by King? By Stephen King? Without any need to, to you know, discuss if he's, if he's good or not. That's I, not part I, of the discussion. I I, I actually kind of want to. I I do kind of want to stand for Stephen King a little bit, if if I may. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you. Sure. That I'm I'm immediately rejecting your question on 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 the face, but um, but no, hear me out. I, I think mean, Stephen King. That's what I mean. I think Stephen King ends up in that sort of hipster space, where like sometimes it becomes trendy to hate on popular stuff. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Where like it's 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 weird. Like sometimes there's this weird belief that if something is is like. If something has any air of legitimacy but is unpopular, it's mm-hmm. it's underrated. It's way better than people realize. Oh, it's you know this is actually like mm-hmm. the best. And then if something's like super popular, 
then it's like, ah, it's overrated. It's kind of crap, blah, 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 blah. Stephen King is an enigma to me because he is, as a crafter of horror, unquestionably great. As a writer, he knows how to write great fiction, but he gets carried away. He can't... May I, may I give you a pause there? Yeah, go ahead. But what I've... I would, as we say, I would sign what you said, put it there, 100%, and on the same wavelength. I always said that if he would write three times less, yep. fewer books, he's still the master craftsman. He's still a master of horror. He can write, he can make you cry or laugh or mm-hmm. be, feel really scared. But he wrote too much. There's such a thing as too much, I yep. feel. Yes. Like if he... If five, like if I said, if you didn't write a book a year, but you wrote one book every three years, you would still be the Stephen King that we know. But those books would have been, yeah, I cannot even imagine his best moments. We would still have those. That's how I would feel about Stephen King. There's a, such a thing as too much. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, I the last book I read of him was The Outsider, and I felt that that book was too long. It's not always bad. There are he's, there's books that are lengthier of his, and I still love them. The stand but comes to I mind as, as I like... Wish, yeah. I wish it was less. And my favorite book of his is Gerald's Game, actually. Really? For some reason, it resonated in me. I read it like in a day, mm-hmm. in a Kindle, in a be- on a bed. So that was there. And I will never forget. I will never read one of my favorite moments in a story. If you remember the end where she's in the courthouse... And she sees the man, and the man looks at her, and he goes like this. He does that. Mm-hmm. Goosebumps, man. I love that idea. When he when he sees and he recognizes her as the woman who's tied mm-hmm. like that with the hands up, that moment was pure brilliance for me. Yeah. He wrote it. He brought it out the way he would he should have done. I There is books of his I love. There's books of his when I was thinking, why did you write this? You could have just not written it yeah. and still be amazing. Yeah, that's how I feel about King. I don't hate on him. I'm glad he exists. Yeah, he's he has made more horror writers than there would have been, but he has still ruined writers who tried too much to do the what he to does. be like. And King, what he yeah. does is his. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that... I see it a lot in in Greek uh, literature as well. I see people reading my books and saying, wow, this reminds me of Stephen King. And every time I hear that, I'm thinking, well, that well, means what, that you what, just read Stephen King. Yeah, what King What King He's are we talking about here? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. I, I, had to like, stand, I had to stand Stephen King a little bit before I got to your question because, like, I think there's, there's like, there is legitimate criticism to Stephen King um, that, mm-hmm. like, you know, I don't disagree with. But, like, I want, like, I, ha- I feel like people need to recontextualize even how they think about him, and I was hoping to do that a little bit, like, because he is the, he is the king, like, he is the king of yeah. horror, like, and it, there's just kind of no way around it. So when you ask what my favorite Stephen King book is, it's The Skeleton Crew. <laughs> you went back to the short story, right? Yeah, so like I like I had to set up the premise. Like, I love the Gunslinger and the Dark Tower series. The Dark Tower mm-hmm. series. Is like, is, I don't know if you watch anime, but I know some of Chat Gang does. There's like anime out there where it'll be just like the best anime series you've ever seen. They tend to run about 26 episodes. 
And this thing ends up happening with them where, like, the last four episodes are garbage and retroactively ruins the whole anime series and then you don't even like it anymore. The Dark Tower... Yeah, the Dark Tower was, like, that where, like, it, it just... I don't mind the, like... I actually kind of liked the metaverse stuff where he's, like, kind of tying all of his stories together. Like, I actually, in my RPGs, have re recurring characters that are, like, oh. mostly just cameos. Like, they, we don't really ever spend time with them. I just mention, like, a shopkeep, and I describe them in the same way that, like, a shopkeep is in this other world. And you go, wait a minute, is that... Like, if you've played in a couple of my games, you go, oh, hey, that's the same guy. Or, like, I use the same names on a couple characters, and if you play in a few of my games, you recognize the names. And uh, and then that question that might come to a player's mind but might not is, like, oh, is it the same person? And, again, it's it's really not... It's never really for the players because it's it's... I'm not like calling attention no, to it. It's for yeah, me, and I, I. It's just something fun I do, and it. It has to do with the nature of my creativity, and like how I think that, in a sense, that that there is sort of this infinite staircase to use a Gary Gygax like old module. Mm -hmm. That there is this sort of like infinite staircase of 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 knowledge and creativity that just you're always walking on and going up, and all the world. You, if you can never find the door to it, you can walk through mm -hmm. between all of the worlds and and find them all. So I do like the the conceit of the dark tower i love the gunslinger the first book in the series is absolutely excellent but like mm -hmm. as i think it's around like book four is when he took his big break and it all has like yeah. it all reads one way to around like all the way up to him about like book four and then like didn't write a word and then suddenly he had like five six out of nowhere and then seven out of nowhere on a slight delay and i was just like and it just the experience just it all kind of unraveled for me and you it'll see it. yeah. it'll all hold a special place in my heart forever as like just one of sure. my most formative series i i will mm -hmm. say unironically unabashedly i love the dark tower but i can't mm -hmm. say that it's like a favorite or i th even think it's good anymore you know gotcha. like it's 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 complicated no. um and what you talked about bringing stuff together it's something that writers love to do. Creators love to do. It's, it's something the I did. Reason why? Yeah, I hated it as a kid. I thought it was cheesy when writers did it. And as I've gotten older, I get it now. You know, like I, I think that there's a fine line. It shouldn't be look, look what I'm doing here. That shouldn't be it. It's like in Midnight Mass, the book Midnight Mass exists in Hush. Like <laughs> the writer. The main character is the writer of Midnight Mass, and or in in Midnight Mass in the Recreation Center, the mirror from Oculus is in the in the backdrop. It's in the back. It's on the stage. So it's not drawing attention. You're not going uh, like in Indiana Jones Four, where the camera just leaves the scene where it's happening, just goes and focuses on the arc inside a broken crate. That is just like pandering and nobody would nobody cared nobody said oh my god it's the ark mm -hmm. no because the camera literally left the scene and went mm -hmm. and focused on a broken crate where the ark is there that doesn't really make sense so and it is cheesy now you said it's feels forced mm -hmm. and it has no sentiment but when it works the way you said when one of your uh players say oh i remember that guy mm -hmm. and you would be okay in the story if you would have a place in the story they would have a place in the story, even if they nobody remembered them. Mm. That's always so nice. And you do it for yourself. Mm -hmm. Because when you create something, you create it also for yourself. It's mm -hmm. an enjoying, it's a thing that you enjoy, yeah. hopefully, I mean. Yeah, well, people yeah. ask, like, you know, you know, why don't I, you know, they, they always ask, like, this, this weird question that's, like, not even, 
in the in the right realm of thinking about it. Like people ask me if like I mm-hmm. if I like writing or if I um um and like yeah I I like writing. Like I I like finishing a story more than I like writing a story. Writing a story is agony. I like writing a story. <laughs> I love having written a story. Yeah yeah. Like I I like the exploration and the stuff like that. But like I I like finishing a story way better. Like having a written story mm-hmm. is the best part of it. Um because it's a battle <laughs> to kind of write it sometimes, but it's it can be energizing yeah. and stuff. It's but I don't write I don't because I like it. You know, I write mm-hmm. because I have to. Like, it, like I, I must write. I If I, I actually get crankier, and I was talking to, the last episode before this was uh, with Dr. Alex. Um, we were talking about, like, um, satisfaction and, and um, positive psychology and stuff. And he talked about, like, flow state as, like, an actual, you know, psychological thing where you, like, end up in the flow state. And what he was mm-hmm. talking about, like, you know, having lasting satisfaction in your life and stuff like that. And I rec- I've recognized about myself, if I go a long period of time without creating a story, I'm crankier, mm-hmm. I'm more agitated, I'm I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm not my be- the be- best version of myself. And as he was mm-hmm. talking about it and what he was describing, I'm like, I'm like, oh, writing for me unlocks that flow state, but then all these other positive psychology, like reinforcement stuff. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that uh, explains, like, I'm literally going through, like, a sort of, like, psychological withdrawal from the feelings I associate with writing, because it's, it's all just, you know, it's all just, uh, uh, you know, brain chemicals, and they don't really know the difference yeah. between getting serotonin from this and that. Which right? is real. It's fine. It's still real. Yeah, it is Whatever real. No, it is real. Movie. I'm just, just like, you know, it's um, my, my brain's not addicted you know to, to, to an esoteric of writing. It's the actual chemicals that, that occur yeah. when I do it. Um, That's how I feel right now with painting, actually. I've lost that a little bit with writing. I have it with painting right now. Mm. I feel like I have to paint. I have that feeling that when I'm done, like, I don't know how many times I said, now I'm done with corn. And now I'm done with this one. And I'm, I'm and still the next day I'm like, I'm putting all the paints back now with being within a house with two toddlers, everything has to be sealed in bags and all that. And every day I like put them away and the next day they come out for something new. And that's how I feel right now. I have to paint. I have to create something because Writing is not that easy right now, especially because of, you know, I'm in, on parental leave and there's two of them. So there isn't too much mental capacity for that. But painting has turned more into a muscular thing right now. And it feels like at the end of the day, the boys are alive, the boys are fed, the boys are happy and healthy. And that's the most important thing. And at the same time, there's something that I created. I can look back to it. So I will get back to writing next year. That's how I feel. I have a couple ideas that I want to uh, put on the page. And actually, this discussion that we're having right now helps a lot. It It's great to talk about things. I know this is a show right now, but still, this is a, like a discussion that I can have. It's right here. It's 1 after 1 a.m. here. It's 101 right now. It's after midnight. Haven't slept in. Um, they have a bad night yesterday, and still I could do this for hours. Hmm. You know, yeah. It's always nice you talk about, it, and then the the love of creating and making stories and making characters and making uh, like pain and and love and everything like that. It's always there. Mm-hmm. It's always there. You can never stop. Can you imagine yourself stopping to create? What if it, even if it's a story? Or an idea for a campaign, or even for a one-off well, session. It's I can't. I 
I don't know. Like I sometimes I try to like think about what it must be like to to not be me. Like there's a fondness there, and I like you never really know what's going on in other people's heads, and you know that's what's kind of mm-hmm. be- beautiful about like literally the spoken word and the written word is like I can take and put a thought in your head that you know wasn't there previously, but you never know what's like going on in, inside people, and I I do wonder like because sometimes it feels like I'm afflicted by this this need to create. And that, like, mm-hmm. there might just be people out there that aren't, and, um, you know, I, 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 sitting in the in the hobbyist circle in AOS, like, the number of people I meet who, they don't necessarily think of themselves as artists or creative, but, like, they still, everything they describe to me where they come home and they have to paint a model, or, like, uh, you know, that's their, that's their me time, or that's their their time, like, I'm like, no, you're describing what I think being creative and creating stuff is, uh, you're just taking it more, I guess, literally in... in painting and you don't think it's the same thing because you're not making something from nothing like a writer or whatever and i'm like like writers don't make something from nothing we our inspir our inspirations are might as well be on a sprue somewhere it's you know i'm just gonna snip off a Mm. bit from uh from the skeleton crew i'm gonna snip off a bit from uh you know from and from cowboy bebop and yeah i'm just this discussion i'm gonna clip all these bits and i'm just gonna like make my own little kit bash of ideas and that's the story i write like people like it's, I guess it's a, like I said, it's esoteric, but it's it's not so much different to me. I think mm-hmm. painting and creating and and I art is, I just I think it's about the you know the best thing humanity's got. Um, yeah, how boring it must have been to to have to only survive and not have time for leisure and to create things for the sake of creating things, right? That's <laughs> what I'm thinking of people who don't like speculative fiction. I mean. Or people who don't read or consume art in the sense, whether it's a film or a series or a book or whatever. Mm-hmm. How is that? For me, I cannot fathom that life. I like I cannot even understand how the how life's you know everything has took them to that place where it's okay to go to work and come back and love your family and do if you're if you're in a happy place yeah but not consume everything like we're so we're so lucky i know the doom scrolling yeah yeah going yeah. on social media i think I never that, I like it takes a huge part of everybody's day but like we're so glad that kindle exists for example or even books but in whatever form, I mean, that's what I mean. We're so lucky that it's there. You yeah. can read, like, you can read one of my stories right now, in a sense. But you are an ocean away. Mm-hmm. You're on the other side. Like it's, like I said, it's after midnight here. Yeah. And still, you, we have the, the choice to do that. So people who cannot say, say, I don't read science fiction. I don't like fantasy. I don't like horror. I don't like spec, spec fic. Said, don't you? like the idea that you can add layers in that sense you can add spice in your food mm-hmm. you can eat instead of just feeding mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah I, so, I i i think it's easy to get doomer pilled you know like about reality mm-hmm. and life and stuff like that and um you know like there's historic levels of of of, of wealth inequality uh across most of the developed world there's a lot of labor exploitation especially in the southern hemisphere like there's a lot of stuff to be aware of uh to 
you know, be sympathetic toward to hopefully do your small part to, to unravel some yep. of that, that mess in reality. Uh, you know, climate mm-hmm. crisis is very, very real and very looming. Like, um, all those things that we get doomer pilled over and we, we feel, you know, powerless over and so on and so forth. Like it's like, I hear you message received people. I'm human too. And I worry about that mm-hmm. stuff a lot, but like, there's, there's a song that uh, by a band called Spanish Love Songs, and there's a he he recounts this he like regales this whole situation in the song of just all this terrible stuff going on, and then he says in this shaking voice the music all cuts out and he goes, he goes, he goes I he's like I swear I'm an optimist, like and it just and then it just and then just the music starts banging and it starts and it picks up again and ever since I heard that song where he's just regaling this this like sad sort of tragic situation and he goes I swear I'm an optimist and mm-hmm. then it starts like rocking out again I've thought I'm like that's me I'm like but I swear I'm an optimist like of all these yeah. horrible things and that I want to in my small way make a dent and in all the ways I can try to you know personally affect things that are way bigger than I could ever imagine um yeah. but I still sit around and I look and I go humanity gives me hope and we live in a good time. Like humanity, humanity gives me hope because like, I don't think the response to like all these crises is to do nothing, but I do think there's some levity to be had. Like, like the, the, my dystopian speculative fiction that I loved consuming growing up says that it's just going to be tank girl when the climate crisis all hits. And like, no, it's, we're going to hit that like point of no return very soon here. Things are going to get bad and water levels are going to rise and like all the bad stuff's going to happen. There's going to be famine fatigue. There's going to be a lot of stuff or fatigue or famine's going to happen. There's going to be a lot of stuff that happens and it's going to percolate throughout, uh, especially the undeveloped worlds and the, and the worlds that we, that imperialism has sort of uh, exploited to make the quote unquote developed nations and so on and so forth. And they're going to get hit the hardest. It's going to hit every, all that stuff sucks. Well, you know, I'm I'm an immigrant from a country that had the worst economic crisis of a Western world nation ever. The longest crisis, the Greek economic crisis. We thought it Greece would no longer be a sovereign. Na- there was a point in yep. modern history where we thought Greece would no longer be a sovereign nation. It's true. And I went through that. I lived through it. I had my own business. And I started my own business in 2010. And the crisis hit literally in 2009. So in the worst economic crisis of all, I literally started my own business and I had to sell it and become an immigrant and go to a new country. And still I say to my wife, we live in the brightest timeline. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm saying, I keep saying, and I, I know I'm an optimist and I know that I have it good, but seeing it from the outside, you can say, wow. Like I, I'm trying to think of my my dad who has worked his whole life and he still works. And he had both of his sons leave the country. Mm-hmm. And he knows it's like his grandkids are not there. They're like half a continent away on the other side of Europe. But he can see them every day and they're they're happy and they have their own we have our own house, we have our jobs, we make we have a salary, things that my own friends back home, if any is left, like there's one of them. I have one childhood friend who still lives in Greece. 
There's one in the States. There's two in Italy. There's more than one in the States, actually. There's another one in Sweden. There's one in Germany. There's two in the United Kingdom. Everybody has gone. But all of our parents are still back. So I can try to see it from that side, from the point of view of the parent. And I'm thinking that this person was, he's worked all his life and had his sons leave. Mm -hmm. And there is no pension for them because, again, Greece is a wreck. Yeah. And still he says, thank God. Mm -hmm. I can, I like, that's normalizing, that's optimism, that's what it is. That's the idea that, oh, there's worse. But this person loves speculative fiction. <laughs> so in that sense, you can see that, like, stories don't tell us that dragons exist. Stories tell us that dragons can be killed. Yeah. So I like that. I don't, I don't see someone who has left life just take its toll day in, day out but still consumes this speculation, the what if. Yeah. So well, I really don't get people who cannot. And I'm, I'm actually feel, I cannot imagine, I cannot think of a single, a, a specific person, but I can say, oh, that's sad. That's sad. People like we, sometimes we were hammer players. They say, oh, you play with plastic toys. <laughs> I'm quite yeah, sad for the person who just sees that. Because we don't see that. No. no. It's not just plastic toys. Well, see, it's that's, so much more than that. It is. It is. I mean, that, and that's kind of where I'm going with it, is I don't wish, like, it, it told the story about the song, and 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 your personal story, I think, really hammers it home better than I ever possibly could, is that despite all things, I'm still an optimist, because I see hum humanity's capacity to continue in mm -hmm. the face of, quite frankly, historic levels of malaise and you know like the technology has changed but there's a lot of the same problems cropping up and i'm like oh yeah but we're still like like it's not just the world's not just going to turn into tank girl and even if it no. did like we'd build cities in the desert because humanity's got this like we've got that that power we write mm -hmm. dystopian fiction and think of a worst case scenario because we can imagine a better one and yeah. if you can imagine a better case scenario, you're never without hope and there's never not a chance to like correct the ship. And, and you know, mm -hmm. that's for me, writing is exploring some of that and, and it's putting ideas and thoughts out there. If I write these characters where the, they have supernatural threats that are demons and ghosts and monsters and where they're haunted by these tragedies that take on a very literal and palpable effect in their world and they get through it then i can get through you know my rotting ceiling you know i can yeah. get through my workload that's too heavy and I, yeah some of it's copium and it's cope and i get it mm -hmm. but but uh, the point isn't to be dismissive of that stuff it's to know that we can that there is a better case scenario and we can work toward it. And we have uh, this time period we're alive in where we have access to, to like, quite frankly, an abundance of humanity that we just, we were cut off from bef before mm -hmm. all the art and the people like present. And past. Yeah. Like all these things yeah. that I can just access that I never had the possible. And like, you get the bad with it too. Cause there's there's some bad corners of the yeah the demons are out there right they're haunting all all the good places too but you have this 
I don't know, man. Like sometimes I just sit sit around and like when things feel the worst, I I remind myself that I live I lived in the same time period of all what the sixty five thousand years the human species has been on the planet. Maybe it's closer to two hundred thousand because you know hundred thousand hundred thousand doesn't matter. Yeah, okay. It's a, it's a number that we cannot like. Yeah. yeah. Understand. And... Yeah, but in that whole span of time, in any like flash of that time period, I could have you know, blipped into and blipped out of, I existed in a time where I got to, like, play fucking Warhammer, start a podcast mm -hmm. talking about Warhammer. Uh, I got you to listen to David Bowie, like, like, David Bowie and, 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 uh, uh, Freddie, Freddie Mercury, Mercury and Eddie Hazel, like, and, and Maynard James Keenan, like, all in the, like, mm -hmm. I could just consume all that music you know, I can watch yeah. The Exorcist and and then turn on, you know, Midnight Mass. And I know, yeah, dangers of being mm -hmm. opiated, but I think there's some, some, like I said, there's a lot of humanity to access yeah. right now. And and if that doesn't give you hope, I don't know. Like I said, you like I can see all the Doomer too. stuff too, but like I swear I'm an optimist. <laughs> but you told me about your kids and they're like, they're, yeah, that's what dad does. Doesn't that excite you? Yeah. You're gonna sh you can show them so much stuff. Yeah. You can show them and see them find stuff that you couldn't even understand. I couldn't even think about. I'm so, it gives me such a perspective. Yeah. Like, I know that, like, this Age of Sigmar is a game of dads. I'm like, you know what? I'm looking forward to that. I don't know if my wife does, <laughs> but I am looking forward to that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah. Well, I. Well, they always... I think it's a good time to be alive, but I think everybody can say that, but and maybe mean it. Maybe not all the time. When I when I got married, when I got in, said no life is perfect, but there are perfect moments, and this is a perfect moment. That's I remember saying that because I suddenly found myself with people looking at me, and I said, wow, "Okay, I have to say something," mm -hmm. and that's what it came to mind. Like no life is perfect, but there are perfect moments, and this is a perfect moment. And this is right here, my friend. This is a great moment. Yeah. I love this. Yeah. Talking about Age of Sigmar, but not really talking about Age of Sigmar. Talking about horror, but not even talking about horror. Like I said, it's universal. It's human. We talk about human things because we can. And look at that. This is Sweden. That's the States. Yeah. And we can do that, which yeah. is amazing. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Yeah. I, I always think that you got to end an episode on a high like this. So, I mean, the, there's any... Anything you want to go back to? Any any final thoughts? Any prompts that you didn't get to? Anything like that? This is what we call the final soapbox. The um... yeah. Um, well, no, I don't think so. I think I what we had as a discussion is what I have I had in my mind. That we're gonna talk about Age of Sigmar horror. I love this, and this was it. But it was even better than that mm -hmm. because we talked about like things that people of like similar minds mm -hmm. start riffing off each other. Yeah, and I love it. And to to bring it together, last February, uh, the editor of a publishing house in the States sent me an email. We said, uh, we're gathering horror stories from all around the world. And we asked a few people in Greece, and your name comes, it came up with every one of them. And so, do you have a, a story for us? I said, you know what? I will look. And there's a story that uh, I really, really love, and I translated it, and I sent it, and they got it. So it looks it's going to come out in January, I think. Called it's the Valancourt Book of World Horror Stories, 
best support story of the world, Volume 2. I think Volume 1 was on the Shirley Jackson Awards. It's actually quite legit. And it's a story that has a little bit of a Warhammer uh, riff. There's a little bit of that. It's again, it's me, it's parental horror. It's uh, a husband and wife, and they're taking their baby to its christening. But they're taking it back to the village where she's from. But there's a sort of a sinister reason they're going there. And the first, the first phrase of the short story is, we're not giving away the baby. That's how the story begins. Mm-hmm. It's called Firstborn. There's a little bit of Warhammer, uh, let's say, Easter egg in there for the people who get it. But I wrote it just for me. I would never in a million years would think that Warhammer people could read it. But there we are. Here yeah. we are. So that comes out in February, and that's where I found the streams cross before this day. That's funny. And that, um, I'm, I'm just glad we have this discussion. Yeah. I loved it. I'm gonna watch it again. I know that I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna be driving to Malmo in uh, a couple of weeks, and it's a three-hour drive. So I would love to, uh, like, go through the chat and see what <laughs> people say, because this was just a talk between two friends. That's how I felt. Yeah. So thank you very much for that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you'll have to get me um, uh, uh, some uh, internalizing stuff that you just said. Um, you're going to have to mm-hmm. message me um, real quick so I can get a, a links on that. Um, and then sure. we'll have to have you come back on in February. Do a, do yeah. a, do a rant cast book tour. Come on and, yeah, come uh, and hype the story. <laughs> I could actually have read it then. Because um, I know yeah. you said, uh, you said like uh, some of your stuff is like written in, you know, like uh, it's not written in English. My basically. novels and my short story collection is in Greek. Yeah. Okay, because it's not the it's not the author's uh, work to translate; it's the publishers. And even though my publishers are actually quite big, they're the ones that have Stephen King and Tolkien and Barker and most of them. Still, the the thing is bad. The things are bad economically speaking. It doesn't really happen. You don't see the publishers taking the toll to translate a. It would cost like five, six, seven thousand. Uh, well, euros, dollars doesn't really matter. It's pretty much similar to actually translate work mm-hmm. and then send it out and see if they want it, mm-hmm. which is sad, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. But I do have quite a few short stories in uh, like in Lamplight magazine in the States is what I mean. And there's, there are a few there. So um, I would love to read some of yours if you want to read some of mine. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll send you, uh, I got a couple, I'll send you a couple links and you send me That's a couple great. links and I'll, I'll be sure to share, share uh, your links in the description below the video here. Yeah. So people can, can check out your work as well. And, and looking forward to February. Um, um, that, so yeah, come back on Rantcast. I know it seems like a, a wise, but a ways away, but that time flies. So time, time flies. <laughs> I'll be, uh, I think I'll be laid off then. So I'll be doing nothing but consuming like Warhammer and horror and, and or creating. Yeah. Creating. Hopefully that's always the dream. All right, chat gang. You know this part. You are the show within the show. The reason we do this thing. This has been an absolute blast, man. I, I this was a fantastic, a perfect, a perfect uh, Meftober or Halloween episode of Rantcast. Kind of about everything I'm about in one show. If this is, if there's a pilot show for like what Rantcast is, I think this is probably, <laughs> probably it. So thank you so much uh, for coming on and being a part of this. This is really great. Everything about. All right, chat gang. Remember, drink your milk, pay your taxes. We'll see you uh, next time.